time to down your unders. Down your unders. The Frontline Gaming Network brings to you Art of War. Down Under. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode 15 of the Art of War Then Under podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are joined by two illustrious metal gentlemen, one being Mr. Michael Timpe from the High Lords of Terror. Hello, my man. How you doing? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you? Fantastic, dude. And the other one is Danny McD-Devitt from Mob Rules. Hello, dude. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. I've got these two fantastic gents on because these guys are metalheads. They're absolute rockabilly, wonderful gents who are going to come on and talk about the Necron Codex with me. We're going to be reviewing that book today on this episode. And um, gentlemen, where can people find you? I want to give you a chance to tell people a little bit about yourselves before we get jumped into this. So, so Michael, tell us about the High Lords. Tell us about your history with Necrons. So High Lords of Terra podcast, um, go check us out. If you like hearing three people who uh, just barely understand 40K, uh, try to talk about it and bust each other's uh, chops pretty hard. Um, from a Necron perspective, I've been playing Necrons since they came out. Well, since they really came out in Citadel Journal for you know to show how old I am. But uh, I really got interested in them in Third Edition with the big metal phalanx, all the warriors and monoliths running across mm. the board. Well, floating slowly across the board, <laughs> being hard to kill. Um, but I competitively, where it actually matters. In uh, eighth edition, I was third best Necron overall in the world by six points. So pretty close race. You and you were waving that flag hard for a long time through some dark times, weren't you? Oh yeah, it was not a very uh, good time to play Necrons, especially competitively, as the power mm. level of everything else escalated into oblivion. Yeah, and they stayed relatively the same. They didn't. Well, in, in all honesty, they stayed. The, they were one of the only codexes that came out. And stayed relatively unchanged throughout until still pretty much now until this new codex. Yeah, they didn't get a psychic awakening. There, there wasn't a single errata FAQ or um, chapter approved that really tilted them from where from a relative obscurity power wise and, and catapulted them up the charts at any point. Did they? No, the quality of life updates they got were points adjustments, and mm. that was basically it. Yeah, Danny, tell us about Mob Rules. Tell us where people can find you, and uh, tell us your Necron story. Uh, all right, so uh, people can find me on Mob Rules. We're kind of uh, a hybrid podcast, if you will. Uh, we kind of do some some comedy bits. We also talk about uh, competitive as well as narrative 40k as well. So we do we cover a wide gamut of sub of uh, subjects. And you can find both Mob Rules and the High Lords of Terra on the Rogue Trader Network of podcasts. Oof. Yeah, fantastic. Um, as far as yeah, what was that? Sorry. <laughs> um, and what's your Necron story, mate? So uh, I started playing Necrons. Uh, I, I don't have any second edition Necron experience, um, but I did play them in third edition. Uh, when that new Deceiver model came out, I just had to have one. He was really one of the best models for quite some time in 40K, I would say. And uh, looking at him now, it's hard to imagine that he was like a centerpiece model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I played them. I've, I played them in every edition, uh, uh, off and on. I played them very heavily in seventh edition. They were like my main tournament army, um, and I did really well. I mean, that uh, Sakurian detachment was uh, was pretty spicy back in the day for for quite a while. Um, and then uh, in eighth edition, uh, I did pretty good last season. But then I kind of 
succumb to the allure of playing Iron Hands, and uh, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't finish out the season with Necron, so my rank dropped quite considerably. <laughs> and as a as somebody who I played you I played your Iron Hands at Charity Hammer, and even though your friends kept throwing money at you to stop you kicking my ass, you still did. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was a great game, man. It was. Anybody can go check that out on a. I think that's on my. I think that's on Art of War Dan under Twitch. But anyway, go check it out if you if you're all interested. Me playing Danny, that was it was a fun fun time. All right, but to the meat and potatoes of what we're about today, I brought these two fantastic gentlemen on because they are both uh, Necron experts and they're guys that are going to help me disseminate and review the Necron Codex. So part one, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to go page by page, almost page by page. We are going to be we're going to jump ahead at one point in this Codex because unfortunately. Despite my hopes and dreams for the new codexes and how they're going to come out and how what format they were going to be in, I was really hoping they'd come out similar to the last couple of Psychic Awakenings where things were compartmentalized, like you'd have the Mephrit page, here's a bit of Mephrit fluff, here's the here's the um, the protocols they get, here's the detachment ability, whatever, um, you know, relic, relic, waller trait, stratagem, things like that, all on the same page. That's not quite the case, and unfortunately, unlike the Space Ring Codex where they, you're going to get supplements for that, this one isn't. This is an all-in-one. If you're going to play Necrons, this is the only book you need. And because of that, we're going to jump back. We're going to jump forward at one point. I'll tell you that one, about that when we get there. But gentlemen, straight off the bat, I'm sure you're both stupidly excited by this book. Michael, what were your first impressions when you cracked open this Codex? I was a little bit in shock because we they doubled the size of our army in one book. Yep. Yep. So we had, in 8th edition, we had the least number of unique data sheets available to any codex. Mm. And then this, basically, they said, okay, let's bolt 50% more units on. So that, immediately right off the belt, that, super welcome. They added a dynasty. Uh, in my opinion, they they fleshed out the, the current dynasties and such. And basically, just the, in aggregate overall, I was just happy to get so much stuff after getting nothing for two years. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. And where, where do you feel like, uh, are you just glad to have more stuff to play with? Or do you feel empowered that this codex has given those bits more more agency in the game as well? I think the book overall is, well, A, definitely needed. B, the army was somewhat abandoned feeling for that period of time. So this was, yeah, this was big. And with the addition changing in conjunction, um, just following other editions, those early books in the first, you know, first while before everyone else gets a book tend to be a little bit stronger, tend to be a little bit nicer. If it weren't for the global pandemic uh, currently happening, I think we would have some pretty fun, interesting results coming mm. for us just because we have better rules than everyone else because we have a book. But because yeah, of that, well said. that's so, not happening. So jumping over to Danny, where do you feel like um, – where do you feel like they stood in ninth prior to this codex? So we've only we had about what four months of ninth before the Necron Codex. Where do you feel like they would they would have been before that? So uh, it was kind of a weird transition, right? Because we got Indominus, and Indominus changed some of the key data sheets and changed uh, like uh, also added some new stuff that we didn't have before, uh, like the Plasmancer, and they and they uh, they did so, and the uh, the Canonic Reanimator. Uh, also, the Scorpec destroyers, which were a really nice uh, welcome addition to the Codex. Um, so there was some weird kind of in between where you had to kind of uh, assume what the rules were going to be a little bit. Like it wasn't ever super. It wasn't ever spelled out super explicitly how some of the interactions worked out because there was no FAQ for that stuff. Um, mm. uh, but uh, I think that they were. 
okay coming in tonight, uh, just because in general, I feel like the quantity of firepower has decreased overall in ninth edition. Um, and so you could kind of weather the storm a little bit better to take advantage of the previous edition's reanimation protocols. So like big units were actually pretty decent with Necrons, I feel like. Um, but mm -hmm. I think that the new book has obviously just enhanced a lot of the ability that the old codex uh, that the old codex had. Uh, so you have a lot you have a lot more options uh, now um, than than you than you did previously, as Michael alluded to. Yeah, it was like a two. It's like a twofold buff. Not only did they add a, a whole another layer of efficiency onto a lot of units and a lot of uh, different dynamics onto them. But the stuff that they already did had, they made it a lot more relevant. So they didn't just go in and just uh, chuck a patch fix onto the codex. They holistically rewrote the whole thing from the ground up, which I think is, is where the strength will be and it'll become apparent. So we're going we're gonna to jump into actually reading from the book and disseminating and pulling out the content. And um, for those following along at home and for you two gentlemen as well, if you want to swoop over to page 51, where we find the detachment abilities. And we're going to be starting from this page and we're going to be working forward from here. This one outlines a couple of different things, but most of it, it doesn't really matter. Just dynastic codes if you're all Necrons, because you, you have to be all Necrons. You get dynastic codes, blah, blah, blah. Um, not too much there to jump out at. But we have this royal court um, stipulation, and I'll read this out verbatim. And when mustering your army, if it contains a Silent King model, uh, this model must be selected to your Warlord as your Warlord. Otherwise, if your army contains a Pharaon model, that model must be selected as your Warlord. Otherwise, if you contain an Overlord model, that model must be selected as your Warlord. Otherwise, if your army contains a Lord, that model must be selected as your Warlord. If your army contains any the, none of those listed models, select your Warlord as normal. So that's pretty much saying that there is this intrinsic hierarchy, this fluff hi hierarchy built into this codex, which denominates who takes the field of battle as the leader. I think this is really cool. Michael, what are your thoughts? It's a nice fluff piece. I like it from that perspective. From an army building uh, perspective, it's very interesting because it means you'll almost never see any of the non-lordish characters be uh, your warlord. Dynastic mm. agents already are restricted. Satan shards can't do it. So yep. it really limits the playing field to what you see there. Uh, the immediately the only thing that comes to mind that could potentially have a warlord trait if you didn't have you know let's say you only had cryptics and you didn't want your cryptics to be the warlord um, would be like a hexamark destroyer right ah uh, yeah I get you yeah that makes a lot of sense um, Danny what are your thoughts you got anything anything to add there yeah uh, yeah I think you can also take like the destroyer characters as well as warlords if you wanted to um, for sure the other destroyer characters I should say because the hexamark is also a destroyer. Um, <laughs> uh, mm. but yeah, I mean, obviously it's a limiting factor, right? Uh, so you're not going to be able to put kind of those, uh, more swish warlord traits on your, uh, on your, on your good beaters. Cause the Necron overlord and Lord are not like great combat characters. The command barge is okay, but otherwise they're kind of, I mean, they're not, they're not the best. Like, let's just say that they're, they're, they're fine, but they're very middle of the road. Uh, and we so, should yeah. forget about the royal warden either. Oh yeah, right. Forgot about him. Thank you. Uh, and then, uh, uh, like most of the most of the warlord traits in general, and I, I know we're not talking about those yet, but they're kind of they're kind of self buffing. Um, they're not a lot of like aura buffs to to, to units uh, for the most mm -hmm. part. So you want to put it on kind of a combat character if you can, and so you're kind of forced to put it on like a kind of middle of the road combat character. Whereas if you were able to put it on a destroyer Lord, he probably would hit uh, a little bit harder uh, than your, than your normal, just overlord or Lord. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, so swooping over to page page fifty two, we have the dynastic codes. Now, um, these have kind of a, each one of these used to have one single, generally mediocre buff army wide. They now have three. Um, I'm not saying that any of these are better than mediocre or mediocre or worse. We'll, we'll jump into those as we disseminate them. But uh, I'll read out the first one, and then I'll flick it over to you, gents, to, to give us your thoughts. And then, if it's okay, I'll, I'll get um, Michael. You can read out the next one for us. But the first one is Mefret, which is Solar Fury. This one is add three inches to the range characteristic of ranged weapons, excluding pistols, that models with this code are equipped with. Uh, second tier of this is each time model with this code makes a ranged attack, uh, targets it within half range, increase the arm penetration by one. That's what they had before. Uh, and then the last one is uh, when in the protocol of Vengeful Stars, um, which is uh, the protocol stuff we'll get to probably jump to from the next bit, um, it becomes active for your army. Every unit in your army has uh, both of those codes active instead of just uh, one of those directives. Um, as would normally be the restriction. So, gentlemen, so plus three inches range, and when you're within half range, you get an extra rend. Um, we'll talk about the protocol stuff a bit more when we jump to that. Now, we're going to jump to that after we get through these guys. That's that's where we're going to be jumping around within this codex, if I, if I didn't notice that before. But uh, for those first two buffs, does that put Mephrit back on the map? Mephrit was one of the strongest pre this one, but I feel like this this hasn't really changed the status quo for them, has it? It hasn't added another feather in their cap. It's just kind of doubling down on what they already did. Um, Danny, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I obviously, I, I think that's, I think that's absolutely a, a, a correct take. I think that they didn't necessarily get better. Uh, uh, any, I mean, they got a little bit better at doing what they were already really good at. Um, mm. uh, I think uh, this combined with the change to their stratagem, um, which is interesting. Uh, I think it makes them okay. Um, it's, it's, if you want to concentrate on the damage dealing aspect of Necrons, uh, I think this is probably a pretty solid choice. Uh, getting Goss Flayers down to minus two AP while within half range, or uh, like the Goss Blasters uh, that uh, uh, that Immortals have to minus three within uh, what 16, 16 and a half inches is uh, probably pretty solid. Um, yeah, no, I, th I mean it's fine. It's I would say it's pretty middle of the road um, as far as mm. the dynastic codes go. I don't think it's the best. Uh, but I definitely don't think it's the worst or anything like that. It's it's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, Michael, you want to give us Novak? Yeah, Novak is uh ooh, that's a spicy one. I, I like Novak. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, so add one to your charge rolls, which is fantastic. Sick. Uh, each time a model with this code makes a melee attack, if that model charged was charged or did heroic intervention, improve the AP by one. Again, hot. Love it. And when you're in the melee protocol, Hungry Void, uh, if it's active, everything that's not a Dynastic Agent or Satan shard uh, gets both the protocol directives instead of the one. I think for the uh, stronger melee-oriented portions of the, of the list, uh, this is super great. Um, and overall, it's a very strong dynasty, in my opinion. Uh, I totally agree. This one could, you could almost rename this one to the Melee Faction of Melee Melee. Like, <laughs> this is just, uh, uh, also, I'll just let you know that the, for those at home, the, the special rule here is called Awakened by Murder, which is just sick. <laughs> it's just cool, right? <laughs> uh, Danny, what are your thoughts on Novok? Uh, I think this is one of the, <clears throat> if you're going to take a box dynastic code, I think, no, think Novok is definitely one of the, like, the top two um, that I would take mm. for sure. Uh, I think they're very, very powerful. And the melee build that Necrons have now, which is not something they were able to build into before, is very solid. And I think it's definitely worth worth a look. 
yeah, I'm hearing that from a lot of different sources, and we're probably touching that as we go. We're going to see a lot more layers added to this um, concept, this archetype of the, the melecrons. Um, but next one for us is Nefrec, which is uh, translocation beams. Uh, models with this code have a six-up invulnerable save. Cool, never going to be a bad thing. Um, each time model with this code advances, it can translocate if it does so. Uh, do not make an advanced roll. Instead, the, at the end of the phase, add six to the move characteristic of the models in that unit. If it does translocate uh, until the end of that turn, models in that unit cannot shoot. Each, so even if you had assault weapons, this stipulates you couldn't shoot anyway. Each time a unit with this code falls back or translocates until the end of the phase, models in that unit can move across models and terrain as if they were not there, so essentially they'll get fly. And then lastly, when uh, in the protocol of sudden storms, you'll get uh, both protocols instead of the single. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts on Nefrek? You know, I think Nefric is pretty interesting. Given how strong Ninth skews to mobility and the ability to shuffle your assets where they need to be to perform actions and grab objectives, I think that this is quietly very respectable, very strong, uh, especially in Necrons, which we have a kind of an odd bell curve of movement values. So, like, we have some stuff that's reasonably quick, and then we have some stuff that, you know, our basic guys tend to be a little slower. So this could really take care of that. And I, if I were using it, if I were building around, hey, I want to get my assets from point A to point B, and I want that reliable, let's say on average, 11-inch move with fly, that sounds pretty great to me. Like, And a 6-up invuln save, it, I mean, I played AdMech too, um, so I'm pretty familiar with that, and it helps. Like, It's not going to change the world, but it... It does take the edge off sometimes. Yeah, well, so our mainstay of the Necrons has always been that um, Chronometron Cryptech, yeah. And so I suppose getting a 6+, plus would almost, would, it wouldn't quite... It, I mean, it doesn't. 5+, plus is just better. But it unhinges you from needing to bubble around a single model to aura up around things that are going to give you those buffs. It kind of takes the takes the training wheels off and lets you spread out a lot more. Now, where I see trans- Nefrek getting a lot more mileage is first turn and last turn. Remember, I'm sure this is a thing. You two gentlemen are very well versed, very successful tournament players. So, how often is, is it turn four or turn five, and you need to get on an objective, and you are you need a four on the dice to go right. to make the advance? And Nefric is just like, oh yeah, you didn't need to, you don't need to ask the question of whether or not you're going to make it. You're just going to get the points. I um, actually make second player stronger too, because sorry? if you have that guaranteed movement and you're going second. That mm. last turn is suddenly very interesting because that's you're really so true, isn't more, it? Yeah, you're so much more unpredictable, right? Because your your opponent, under normal circumstances, may be like, "Hey, you know, okay, Necrons. A lot of their stuff is kind of slow, five inch move." But then mm. with that, it's like, "Oh shoot, it's an eleven inch threat range, and it doesn't care yeah. what's in the way." Now, um, I I haven't actually read, so I, I don't actually know if there's anything crazy that we can find out of this but this doesn't say you can't charge after the assault it just says you can't shoot so if there are maybe there's some ways to advance and charge in this book or somewhere somehow you know maybe we'll get to it maybe we won't maybe i'm maybe i'm, I'm alluding to something that doesn't exist but uh danny nefrek excited not excited yeah no i think it's great uh i think that they have a great strat which we'll get to later uh but just on the basis of the dynastic code i don't think it looks like anything special but you can do some cool stuff like you can stack there's a couple of different ways to get plus one to your advance rolls or, or advance moves. Mm-hmm. So um, between that, I think you could move up to 13 inches automatically, um, which wow. is pretty cool. Uh, and ignoring terrain and all that is amazing. Absolutely. Danny, you want to you keep going and, and touch on Nihilak for us? Oh, man, do I ever. So this is this is my dynasty for sure. Uh, so units with this code, and this uh, this code is called aggressively territorial. 
Um, units with this code have the objective secured ability. Uh, if a model in this unit already has this ability, that model counts as one additional model when determining control of an objective marker. In addition, Oofed. yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, right off the bat. Uh, and then each time a model or an attack with an armor penetration of minus one is allocated to a model with this rule. If that model's unit is wholly within its own within its, within its controller's deployment zone, uh, then the uh, AP becomes zero. And in the protocol of the Eternal Guardian, they get both the effects instead of just picking one. Um, mm. God, so it's. I think this is to me. It's it's not, and I'm biased, of course, but. I think it's probably one of the best. Uh, I think it's, if not the best, one of the two best uh, dynasties, like that are the box dynasties that you get in here. The board control aspect is huge. Giving OPSEC to so many different units is very powerful. In addition, you're getting both benefits of a protocol and you get a unique stratagem and relic. Um, but like, I think, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's definitely a very solid choice if you want to take one of the boxed ones. Um, like giving scarabs objective secured is one of the most insane abilities <laughs> that I think that you could do. Uh, it's so powerful. Um, so uh, a huge fan here. Uh, Michael, anything to add there? What are your thoughts on Nilak? Yeah, I think uh, I think if you're a new Necron player and you're looking to pick one of these, um, this is probably the way to go right now. Uh, it's easiest to use right out of the gate. Mm. Every single piece of it you will find value in throughout the entire game, and yeah, I mean, there's nothing, nothing bad to to say about it. It's all killer, no filler. Um, yeah, I've I've every single list I've made after you know the first couple, I tried to stay away from that because it's not the obvious choice, but it is very very strong. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's quite apparent the power here. I mean, you think you think about Space Marines. Space Marines are paying CP hand over fist and points hand over fist to get the same thing you're just getting for free. I think the only other thing that has this. As their like chapter trait is uh, death skulls, yeah. Or I guess um, the custodes have this just for being custodes. But um, this, the only thing that holds this back, I guess, if, if anything was to hold this back, was the fact you only get the minus one in your deployment zone. If that was anywhere on the table, this would be the new salamanders. This would be the new best single, single army wide buff you could give. Would be the word nihilak if they just got ignore minus one across the board and i suppose it's good that's probably good they're a little bit restrained with the, the giving away of that one <laughs> um, i'm gonna jump on suzeric and then i'll get michael to give us the last one sortek but suzeric suzeric khan apologies is uncanny artifices each time a model with this code would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound roll a d6 on a five plus that wound is not lost each time with this code is selected to shoot or fight you can re-roll one wound roll when making that unit's attacks and then lastly um in the protocol of the undying legion you get both of the goodies uh so this is a little bit less apparent. And I suppose this is a little bit more specialized than the than a couple of the other ones. But Danny, what do you think of Zerikan? Uh I think the main benefit that this dynasty has going for it is that it gives you some additional synergy with the Silent King. <laughs> uh, the, like, if you're going to take that particular model, I think you want to take this. Otherwise, I, I'm not sure how great this is. Uh, five of five of ignore wounds for mortal wounds is is fine, um, and the reroll to wound roll is great. Like Necrons have really great weapons. Um, oftentimes mm -hmm. they don't have a ton of shots for those weapons, so getting a free reroll every single time you shoot one of the big doom guns uh, is is pretty strong. Yeah, I actually agree on that one. I've played against uh, a many, many a Necron player with the triple DDAs, and they'll roll one shot, they'll hit with it, and then they roll a one to wound, and you're just like. 
that's a good couple of hundred points that you used there, mate. Well done. Um, it, it just feels really bad. So doubling down on getting efficiency out of those big shots does seem good. But apart from that, it seems pretty lukewarm. Michael, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I kind of disagree a little bit. I, I think the five-up feel no pain against mortal wounds right now doesn't feel particularly strong. But we haven't seen 95% of the codexes that are going to be coming out. So I That's don't very know true. I don't know if psychic things are going to become stronger. I don't know if more mm. weird mortal wound stuff's going to happen. So that may increase in value. I think the wound reroll, that consistency, like Danny was saying with our weapons, is a huge value add. And I think it's the only way we get access to that. So if you're looking for that, that is literally the one way you can do it. And mm. I, I know we'll get to it when we hit the protocols directly. But of all the protocols, this one is the most consistently like easily usable i should say and like reliable for bringing guy- back your guys and healing up and getting both of them uh especially if you have the their trait which lets you do it twice in a game uh that's not a joke that's actually quite powerful in my opinion so if you're trying to keep your stuff on the board and really take advantage of reanimation and living metal um i i think that that's you should definitely look at that and uh, so I was just, uh, the more you're talking about, uh, thank you for, for making a stop and pause on this a little bit, because uh, we need to recognize some things that are strong in the meta at the moment. Um, and this is alluding to bits of stuff we'll probably go into a bit more depth in part two, but if Admech and Death Guard are strong where you live, this is good. This is just actually good. Like you have uh, Mortal Winds being dished out by things like Super Chickens, Mortar- Mortarians, all those little casters and things that Chaos bring along. On top of that, you've got the Mortal Wound Bomb from the Plague Marines, which is absolutely freaking heinous to anything, especially big blobs of warriors or things of that ilk that you want to get into the middle of the board and then stock, uh, then like hunker down and control and uh, maintain, you know, control positions or whatever they want to call it. But uh, on top of that, you think about the, just, just the misc Mortal Wounds of a well-designed and well-played Admech army can dish out very frustrating and this just cuts that by a third that can that's actually just a good thing if those are things in your meta on top of that you just add t-suns or gray knights to the misc for them you know that's self-explanatory what they're going to do to you then this does actually look a lot better doesn't it i agree with that yeah for sure hmm. all right yeah michael you want to tap on the last one for us you want to read out sortec yeah so uh relentless advance which is uh is funny because they don't really do anything with advancing I, I would have given relentless advance maybe to Nefric, but okay. Mm, so, at least not yeah. anymore, right, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> true, true, but it's funny they didn't change the name. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Each time a morale test is taken for the unit, you can re-roll it. Instead of using the normal rules for rapid fire, you rapid fire at 18 instead of 12, basically. So that's that's pretty great. And the protocol of the Conquering Tyrant is online. You get both of them instead of just the one. Uh, I my opinion of this is I think it's easy to overlook this one. However, they still maintain the plus one to hit stratagem, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, some of the best characters have the Sautek uh, word on them. Mm. If you're going to run Emotek, Emotek's a great character to run uh, if you want the two extra command points and the other stuff that we'll talk about later, but he's Saltech bound. So that gets you access to him. Or if you want the other two guys they're they're there as well. And while the morale test thing is kind of ho-hum in my opinion, the, the rapid fire at 18 on some of our platforms we have access to is pretty tremendous. Like 
some units that just come to mind that really benefit hotly from Sautek would be like Tomb Blades with the rapid fire weapon yep, or yep. Ghost Arc. Yeah. Um, Ghost Arc getting to swing around 12 inches and then rapid fire at 18 with 20 shots, strength four minus one. Mm-hmm. Feel pretty good to me. Like that's, I, I mean, it to me, it enhances their threat range pretty substantially. So I think it's, I think it's weak by comparison to all the other ones. In my opinion, like if I was ranking them, I would put it at the bottom, but it's the bottom of a strong list. I agree with that. Danny, what are your thoughts? Yeah. And I think uh, what Michael said, taking it holistically is super important in this, in this scenario, Mm. getting access to some great characters, like not only is Imotech great, um, uh, but Zandrek is also, is also pretty darn good. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, again, like, the, the first thing that, that or one of the first things that popped into my mind uh, when I saw this was like, okay, yeah, uh, ghost arcs with this are going to be pretty good. Like, even warriors with ghost flayers, because a lot of times uh, now you'll probably see a lot more reapers on the table than flayers. But in Sawtech, I definitely want the ghost flayers on the table so I can start rapid firing at 18. Um, uh, it's, it even gives a buff to the immortals, even though they got a range increase on their Ghost Blasters going to 18 inches on rapid fire on that is still very solid. Um, so yeah, overall, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a decent faction, but it's on the, on base at base value again, doesn't look super great. Yeah. You, 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 this isn't the buy-in for the faction. You're not buying it. Right. You're not, you're not playing Sawtech for Relentless Advance. I think you guys have said that very well. Now we're going to, so the next page from this is actually the ancient dynasties, which is the kind of build your own dynasty page but we're actually going to jump ahead to page 81 well yeah page 81 we're going to talk command protocols because we've just we've just at, at the last the last dot point for each and every one of those six dynasties uh, and dynasty codes was um a command protocol buff and we need to know what those are if we're going to get the context of the rest of the crap we're talking about so and i suppose that's a frustrating bit where the way this is formatted i would have hoped they would you know put this before or this was this was early on in the codex but we're going to jump forward to page 81 gentlemen now danny what the hell is a command protocol, and why should I know what it is? Okay, um, so uh, so command protocols are a selection that you make before the game starts. Now, your army has to be has to consist of uh, all models from the same dynasty, the entire army. So this is like your faction pure bonus, like a super doctrine for yep. marines, that kind of thing. Um, some exceptions to this rule are going to be Satan charts, dynastic agents, um, and you also have to have a noble character as your as your warlord um so of course if you include a noble character he has to be your warlord anyway um so you'll get access to these uh command protocols and so before uh it's after deployment i believe yeah um yeah after both sides have deployed but before the first turn so you know who's going to go first um you uh stack five of these command protocols um in an order and then you use that order throughout the game when you draw the command protocol or, or use it um, at the start of a battle round, um, you select one of two bonuses, or if it's your uh, dynasty's, you know, super protocol, like it's, they're the best at this one, they get to use both benefits instead. Yeah, and uh, so just off the bat, this this seems reminiscent of um, things that have been around for a long time. This seems reminiscent of something like the the demons warp storm, where you have to roll, but you have to roll it every start of every turn to see what kind of wacky ass stuff was going to go down. Or uh, I guess a better comparison would be Admex um, Canicles or the Omnissiah. Uh, but see, they have to roll it, and they go, I suppose, you know, cause anything that gives them control of. This is this is playing a poker game pre-game. Yeah, this is you stacking your own little deck of buffs um, after seeing deployment. I've seen the lay of the land, and then kind of calling your shots 
turn by turn. Michael, what are your thoughts on this as a as a, just a, as as like your your mono plugin? So I think they're very interesting, and I also think that they are very hard to use. Not mm. just because you have to understand every single protocol and the particular directives of them, but you have to understand your army's game plan, their army's game plan. The table itself can impact it. The mission itself impacts it. And you have to, on top of all of those things, like let's pretend that there's no other restrictions. That alone is like skill cap. Um, I've played 10 or 20 games and I'm just getting a handle on this. Mm-hmm. And then add on to that the fact that it's aura restricted by having characters that have to be both on the board and then you have to be within certain ranges for things to happen. Um Adding that complexity to it, but now I understand that there are other auras, so you might already be doing aura stacking and keeping an eye on that, and et cetera, et cetera. But just that aside, like all those moving pieces, to me, I think this is a high skill cap mechanic, and the people who take the time to really get good at it will probably get very decent mileage out of it. I also totally see people going, this is a whole lot of work and the game's already mm-hmm. hard. I'm just going to skip it and uh, I won't I won't even utilize these. I'll build a list that doesn't need them or get access to them. Exactly my thoughts. I think the people who have the ability to take advantage of this are going to get some decent mileage, not great game-breaking mileage, but some decent to, to good use out of them. Um, and I think that's it's actually really cool to see something that requires so much skill added into an army. And I wish this was something that we could expect across the board, but the fact is we know Space Marines don't have anything that's this hard, that's this hard to wield. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, it, we, it's too much to expect that everyone's going to have something this difficult to get the mileage from. But as, as far as a mono bonus goes, this is... Uh, above and beyond not the worst but just the I, I don't want to say the most awkward because it's not the most awkward it's i don't know i don't know the best way to explain how how i feel about this yet we might we might uh, i might switch it over to danny and see what his thoughts are and then we'll get him to read the first one but mate what are your thoughts so i think it's pretty cumbersome like in general uh, i i agree mm, with that. perfect that's that's the perfect word that is the word i was looking for cumbersome <laughs> Like, uh, it's, it's so many different moving pieces that you have to put into the right order, right? And, uh, like, I think Michael really hit the nail on the head with having you, – you have to know what your army does, what your opponent's army does, and, wh- and when they're going to be doing that thing, right? So kind of planning out your game ahead of time, I think, first of all, that's very rewarding as a player in general to be able to – or to be able to do that on the table to kind of plan out, okay, well, I think I'm going to be here this turn. I think this is probably going to happen. Um, so I think – once you get good at that, you're probably already really good at the game in general uh, because you already kind of know how the game is going to go after deployment, um, which is which is which is which is a pretty powerful skill to have uh, in your uh, in your bank as, as a competitive player. So I don't know that it's always the best idea to build for these. I think you can definitely build a good list without having to use them. Uh, like uh, again, like you guys again, really hit the nail on the head there. So. Uh, all right, so the first one is uh, Protocol of the Eternal Guardian. Um, and so uh, this one has two different directives, and each of these will have two different directives. So directive one, each time an attack is made against this unit, if it did not make a normal move, advance, or fall back this battle round, uh, this unit receives the benefits of light cover, as described in the Warhammer 40,000 core rulebook. And directive two is each time an enemy unit declares a charge against this unit, if this unit is not within engagement range of any enemy units, it can either hold steady or set to defend. 
and then it'll go through what those mean. But those that's basically either Overwatch on fives um, or plus one to hit in close combat. So and that's Nihilex uh, yep. protocol. Yep. Hmm. Uh, so so Neil, like this this just automatically screams. This is the one you want to use first. First turn. <laughs> this is the first turn one. Yeah. I think it depends. But that would that would if you're going to go first. That second. would be the. T- yeah, that would be the obvious thing. Is being like, ah, oh, you want to use this one first turn to mitigate damage, but uh, depends on your army build. This might be the thing you want to use turn three when someone's bring down a bunch of scions, or they've got an alpha or beta strike coming on the table, or things of that ilk, or you know, someone's got six aggressors, salamanders aggressors in reserve. Uh, Michael, this doesn't. This screams reliability to me. This screams just ah, uh, cool. I get to be Raven Guard for a turn. Is there any more to it than that? Not particularly, in my opinion. I think Nihilek benefits from this, especially if they grab onto it, uh, if they know they're going second, mm. uh, because they're going to be in their deployment zone anyway, so they get the added bonus of the ignoring the minus one. So that light cover ignoring minus one feels pretty good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, from the rest of it, though, I think everyone else has to play it pretty dynamically. I would imagine that they would be in a situation where they would probably be going for Directive 2, expecting to be charged. So I could see it being pretty hot on turn 3 or 4. If you are prepping for charge and not wanting to be aggressive in melee on those turns yourself. Hmm. All right, I'll jump over to the next. I'll read out the next one, and I'll get Michael to do the third one. So this one is Protocol of the Sudden Storm, which is, I believe this is the Nefrek. This is the Nefrek one, yep. Um, directive 1, add 1 inch to the move characteristic of models in that unit. Uh, when that goes with Nefrek, that is sick. Um, and then directive two, if this unit is performing an action, it can still make attacks with ranged weapons without that action failing. That is actually really, really cool. And the, what makes that cool is you can build that into your secondary choices. Um, if you if you take a bunch of, of action requiring secondaries, you can you know deploy scrambles and still shoot. You can put up banners and still shoot. You can do a bunch of different things and still get the efficiency of your unit. Um, Danny, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think Nefrak really, really uh, gets a huge benefit. Actually, I mean, any of the dynasties that get both benefits are going to get a pretty big benefit off of their specific protocol, mm. right? Um, but this yeah. combined with, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, not Lord's Will, uh, but Relentless Advance uh, means that's how you can get up to 13 inches, I think, on your advance rolls for the uh, Nefrak uh, units, which is pretty great, right? I mean, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, that's really great. Go ahead, sorry. Nah, it's really quick. So you get you get one inch past the, the halfway point of the, the table, like top of turn one, maybe, which is fantastic. But yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, if you have, uh, oh no, I guess they don't have any units on, on 20, 25s. Anyway, um, all right. So and then the, the, the second part of this, being able to shoot uh, Wolf Silver Forming in action. One of the, uh, one of the really, I think, actually decent uh, Necron-specific secondaries requires actions to be taken. Um, and so, like, I think this just, this just synergizes so well with that. I mean, Space Marines have to spend two command points to take, um, an action to be able to Mm. shoot, um, but Necrons can do it for free, and that's pretty awesome. I think that's awesome as well. Um, Michael, you want to read out Protocol of the Vendral Stars for us? Yes, this is the Mephrit Protocol, and it is Directive 1, when you make a ranged attack on an unmodified wound roll of a 6, increase the AP by 1. Directive two is when the unit makes a range attack and the targets the targets a unit within half range and the target does not receive the benefits uh, to its saving uh, benefits of cover to its saving throw so it ignores cover. That's that's pretty cool. I think the mm. directive one portion of that is really uh, ho hum because it's the wound roll, so you're not just going to see very many sixes of that at all, and it is only mm. an additional AP of minus one. 
Whereas if you can, if I'm remembering this correctly, if like uh, Air, uh, an Eldar Shuriken weapon does it on a hit roll, right, of a six, and it's a much better AP. No, I don't believe. I thought that was, I thought it was on a wound roll as well. But I'm, oh, I'm not double. Three rolling. minus three, right, or something crazy. Yeah, it is rent three, and then yeah, Jane Steel is like rent four. It's actually impactful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is not terribly impactful, and it's not going to happen very often. So we can probably say that's very very ho hum. But the mm. second part is really cool. Being able to uh, ignore it says cover, so that includes heavy cover. So that's that's great. I like that. Yeah. Yes, that actually does. It says cover, and we know now that if they was going to ignore just light cover, it would have said just light cover or the benefits to your saving throw. So that is really cool. So they would be essentially be plus one to hit as well. Um, that that all of a sudden screams power. But here's the funny thing about Mefret, yeah? Do you know how I said Novok was the, the 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 punchy, punchy, choppy, choppy one? This one is the shooty, 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 shooty. Because every time I read something or see something about them, it just says, oh, did you want to shoot? Because you can shoot better now. Uh, were you going to shoot? Or you, were you Mefret? I guess you're shooting because now you're going to shoot some more. It just doesn't seem like there's anything else in there that doesn't give you a bonus to shooting. Um, not saying that's a bad thing by any means, but it just doesn't, it doesn't uh, excite the cockles of my heart. It just means, hey, if I want to play an efficiency war, this is probably the one I want to go with. Danny, what are your thoughts? So to be totally honest, when I with the times I've played, I think I've uh, in about the eight games I've played with the new codex so far, uh, I've dropped this one about six times. So this is the one I usually don't take because I just don't think it provides enough. Oh wow! Okay. Like the cover, uh, the cover benefit you can replicate with a stratagem pretty easily. Um, and, yeah. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I just I, I don't. I mean, it's okay. It's just not. It's just not as useful to me as the other ones are. I feel like. If you were trying to stack, oh hold on! If you were if you're trying to stack the AP on this though with the Mephrit, if you happen to be in half range and you're trying to go for the minus two AP value, this is a way to get the double AP bonus to that. Because at half range, you get the minus one from the dynastic trait, and then on a wound roll of a six, it would increase to a minus two. I don't know how huge that is, but I guess if you're doing it and you're also turning off cover, that might be kind of fun. Like, but anyway. Or you've got an ass kicker of a sister's player who's got to ignore minus two on all their stuff, and you just you need that spiking minus threes to to win a game. Maybe Mefret's your baby. Um, so Danny Danny mentioned something there that we didn't really caveat at the start. So there's six of these, but there's only five turns in the game, and that means at the start of the game, when you write these down, which one you're going to do, you're not writing one of them down. And so Danny, you just said out of six out of your eight games, Vengeful Stars was the one you didn't add on your list. Right. Beautiful. When we get to the one that you don't usually write down, Michael, please point it out to us. Next one we got is uh, Protocol of the Hungry Void. Now, whose is that one? That is uh, Novok. So that is the Choppy Choppy Boys. Uh, directive 1, each time model distance unit makes a melee attack and modify and reroll of 6, improve the arm penetration characteristic by 1. So the same as one we just read for melee instead of shooting. And then Directive 2, each time model in this unit makes a melee attack. If that unit made a charge move, was charged, a heroic, a heroic intervention, add 1 to that attack strength characteristic. Wow, that second directive is actually pretty, pretty good, right? It's pretty nice. Uh Michael, what are your thoughts? Yeah, if this is, you know, uh, Novak wants to punch. This makes you punch better. It's a no-brainer, and with every mm. single dynasty, uh, you're going to take. I'm assuming uh, almost, let's say, most lists should have an uh, at least one dedicated melee or counter melee unit, and this just feeds into that. Look at that turn mm. two. Look at that turn three. Look, like somewhere between turns two, three, and four, you're probably going to want to be on void for that, mm. that you know ability. Agreed, Danny. Anything to add? I mean, I think yeah. I, I mean, just. The, the key benefit here is the plus one strength value that you can add to a unit. 
because there are so many units yeah. that really want to be like just plus one strength. And uh, this gives you a really easy way to make sure that they get that. Well, it used to be in, oh, sorry, it wasn't. It used to be, there was a stratagem to do this, wasn't there? Um, and I think it was, was it just on Necron Warriors or so, on Warriors and Immortals? I couldn't it, remember. It might've been it on was everybody. everyone, uh, disruption fields. And uh, they've changed it now. So it's only on core units. So, uh, that's what I was thinking. Apologies. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can do it now. So this gives, lets your destroyers get it, which is a big deal, especially for like Obsidian yeah. destroyers and wraiths. Like they really want that plus one strength, especially like the wraiths if they have the whip coils and the Ophidians just because they're only strength four. Flayed ones, this is a big deal for too, mm. which is nice. Oh, geez. Yeah, flayed ones. Absolutely. That's huge. Uh, Michael, you want to read out um, Undying Legions for us? Yeah. So this is the Cesric, Cesricon. Cesricon? Yeah, Cesricon one. Uh, and that is directive one. Every time you get living metal, you heal two instead of one. So one additional wound. Kind of nice. Yep. And then number two is when you uh, re-roll reanimation protocols, you can re-roll one of the dice. Awesome. Yeah, I like it. And Yeah, cool. I like it. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, for me, uh, I, I think yeah. it's I, I think it's fantastic. Um, it's what I. It's one that you're going to take every game. I imagine uh, you. I can see it going both ways. I can see it going being used in any turn. So that's kind of yep. interesting, uh, especially if like you're going second. You know, you're going to be eating it. You're just like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and hit that directive too, and you get that little bit of extra reroll. Mm. Keep my stuff around, uh, or you know, you're gonna maybe you don't. Maybe you go the pr- first protocol, the Eternal Guardian, to protect yourself a little bit, and then set it up for round two, so that maybe if you had Living Metal and other things, you know, you can uh, heal back up a little bit faster. I don't know, just those yeah. make it feel feel pretty good. I really like the idea of this in like a mechanized um, army, something something with like DDAs and kind of command barges and the monoliths or whatnot or whatever is actually good when we get to that stuff. But um, and you just use a turn four when most of their anti-tank is dead and they're trying to pinch hit heavy bolters into monoliths and stuff and be like, okay, cool. I just I, I healed two wounds this turn instead of one. Just just something as simple as that can completely shift the metrics of a game. Danny, what are your thoughts? Um, I really like this one. I think it's really good. Um, you can do some crazy good healing on tanks, especially with it. But like. The reroll re- reanimation protocols is also really good, so it's kind of a hard choice for me to make to, to decide which one of the two benefits I want. Um, yeah, unless you're, unless you're <laughs> Cesarekin, you can definitely you can definitely. Uh, yeah. I'll say it correctly. I think that's right. I don't know. It might not be. It could be Cesarekin. I don't know. Whatever. I say Nihilak or Nihilak or Nihilak. Yeah, Nihilak. And other people say Nihilak, and you know, There's, who cares? Yeah. Nihilak or yeah, Nihilak. whatever. Nihilak. It's they're all correct. I always thought it was about Nihilus Lebowski. So, but the uh, with <laughs> uh, the <laughs> with uh, Protocol of the Undying Legions, like just getting the extra living metal wound. Plus, you can heal a, a couple of different ways as well. You can get oh, you can get to Iron Hands level of uh, of vehicle repair, which is great. Um, but yeah, just that I usually find I'm using this like turn four or turn five just to keep my units alive a little bit longer so that they can hold objectives like that last little bit or prevent my opponent from taking them. Like how much more is a pain in the ass? Turn, turn four, turn five, how much more is a pain in the ass than a, uh, you got a single one wound wraith or a single three wound wraith? Like <laughs> such a big difference between those yeah. two. Um, all right. On to the last one. Protocol of the Conquering Tyrant. Directive 1, add 3 inches to the range of this unit's aura abilities to a maximum of 12, and increase the range of the following abilities this unit has by 3 to a maximum of 12 also. Um, 
Lord's Will, My Will Be Done, Rise of Reanimation. Directive 2, this unit is eligible to shoot in a turn in which it fell back, but if it does so, then end of the turn, it uh, adds minus one, so they turn into Ultramarines for a turn. And on top of that, they're always get a bit more chunky. Michael, what are the applications here? Where do you want to use this? This is the one I skip, um, but... Perfect. If I, <laughs> if I were to use it, um, if I was trying to spread myself out on this new smaller table in ninth, uh, I would try to take advantage of that aura ability. I I just the the types of things that I'm taking don't mind being in combat or getting charged. Mm. So I don't care about falling back and shooting badly at them. That doesn't matter to me. It's either going to be a melee unit, a screening unit, or a vehicle that can just shoot you. Because I'm not super into like the big blast weapons, so I don't care. <laughs> Awesome. So this is also because I heard Danny make an explana- excla- explanation of a of a, a sound. So obviously Danny thinks differently. Now this speaks to the new archetypes. That Michael's obviously playing with an archetype that is very melee based, and it seems like Danny, whose favorite is uh, Nihilak, is doing the opposite. So Danny, tell me why this is indispensable. So for me, I run a lot of big blobs of warriors, and being able to fall back and have them still do something is huge. Um, so and I can kind of counteract this with my will be done. Um, so my guys are still hitting on threes a lot of times, uh, which is nice. Um, so I quite yep. I quite like the directive two only. Directive one is uh, pretty sad. This is Sawtech gets both of these uh, for theirs. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's a big deal for me to be able to fall back and still shoot with like you know ten or fifteen Goss Reapers into somebody point blank range. It's a lot of firepower, and pretty hard to ignore. Yeah, I can get with that. All right, so that actually rounds out our. Um, a bit on the command protocol. So holistically, gents, um, do you think this is a good addition to the, the Necron book? Do you think this is a game changer? Is this something that's warranted? Or would you have rather seen something, some other mono bonus than what you got? Uh, Michael? I think this is, from a game design perspective, it's very interesting. I think it need, if I were doing it and I were, let's say I was the, the you know, the project lead on, on Necron's ninth, uh, I might have taken one piece of the conditionals away just because I think all that clockwork running is a little more complex than it needs to be. Like have a noble have to be on the board and then mm. you have to pick them in advance and you only get one of the two, but not uh, add and you have to be within six inches of a character as well. Right. Right. Yes. Yep. Too many moving pieces. So you're going to get people, and that's going to disincentivize folks. It's like, okay, I have to have a noble. Okay, noble has to be on the board in a addition where you can deep strike anything. Okay, I have to have a character uh, nearby within six inches, or if you know they have an aura uh, increase, maybe within nine or twelve or whatever. Right. Uh, let's say nine within nine at best. You know, to to trigger this thing, and I had to plan everything in advance, and I'm only maybe except on one turn getting one or two of them so are one uh only getting one of them so it's like i don't know that feels that feels like a lot of pieces uh i would say mm. cap if i were like rating it i think that the people who take advantage of it will get like a 10 percent power bump maybe off of it but mm. and but from high mid tables to high tables that can make a big difference uh, very, very true, mate. Now, in, in Adam speak, in uh, Adawad and Underspeak, we call that the terms and conditions aren't quite right. The the amount of um, the amount of hurdles you need to jump to get the most out of these doesn't. It seems a little bit too restrictive to be wholesale good, to be you know wholesalely adopted and and thought of as, as powerful. But maybe I'm going about it the wrong way. Danny, do you have anything to add? 
Uh, on this, uh, not not a ton. I, I agree. I think that it's too many hoops to jump through um, to like to be mm. super good, but it's good, and it's just an extra rule that the army got. So it's just an extra buff that Necrons have overall. So it's not something that they had before. Uh, and I think it's a nice little decent bump in power if you're using them, uh, if you're using them correctly. Fair enough. All right, we are going to jump onto. We're going to jump back in time. We're going to turn back time, as Cher would say, and go to page fifty-four. We're going to talk about the build-your-own dynasties, and we're going to take an ad break after we get through these, uh, because then we're going to be hitting to the stratagems and the relics and the wall of trades and those other juicy bits. But uh, these are. I'm. All, I'm excited about these dynasties, and it's the first time I'd be excited about a lot of stuff. I mean, I got the guard, uh, build-your-own regiments and all that stuff. Was not excited at all. So, this is this is pretty cool. So, dynastic traditions. If your chosen dynasty does not have an associated dynastic code, pages we just went through them before, um, you must instead create their dynastic code by selecting one code from the dynastic traditions listed below. Unless you selected the Vassal, uh, Vassal Kingdom dynastic code, uh, then you can also select one additional code from the circumstances of a waiting list opposite. So this is almost like you have a primary and then a secondary buff. Um, so if they're giving you the two tiers again. What you do miss out on is the, the mono benefits you would get to your your protocol so we went just went through before um so the first of these dynastic traditions is eternal conquerors i oh, sorry i'm just going to confirm that i have that right chance so you do get like a primary um dynastic tradition then you get your circumstances awakening as your kind of your secondary bonus yeah correct fantastic just making sure i got my p's in line so the first one is eternal conquerors uh, units with this code have the objective secured ability Geez, if a model with this such a unit already has this ability, uh, that model counts as one additional model when determining control of an objective. That is one of the most, that is one of the single most powerful uh, build your own anythings that I've ever seen. That you would just get obsec for your whole army, for just pick it. Um, am I crazy, Michael, or is that fantastic? It's the best part of uh, Nihilak, and that's one of the best dynasties. I mean, instantly hard to argue with. They didn't even uh, sugarcoat it or bury it anywhere. Right. It's the very first entry you read. So there it is. Phenomenal. Um, not much to be said there. I think anybody who's listening to us knows how good that is. But uh, Michael, do you want to jump on Pitiless Hunters for us? Yeah. Instead of the normal rules for rapid fire weapons, you do it, uh, make double the number of attacks, either the shooting model's targets within half range or if the shooting model is infantry and its unit remains stationary in your previous movement phase so it's a little bit complicated but if i'm reading that correctly uh if you're shooting at infantry you can rapid fire at 24 inches if your gun was 24 inch range if you're shooting yeah it's like bolter drill is, is if the shooting model is infantry it's bolter drill yeah yeah Danny, yeah um any more to say there oh man so this one is i think pretty solid if you've got uh if you've got like a mortals i think it's so good with them like it actually makes you. It actually makes me want to play with them. Like just the ability to have a unit that just puts out twenty strength five minus two uh, shots, like at thirty inches, is uh, extremely powerful. Especially if you're getting like rerolls to hit from the Silent King or a plus one to hit from my Will Be Done. It's just super accurate fire that does good damage. It's just a straight. Um straight efficiency buff um i'll jump on the next one then i'll get danny to read the one after that this one is superior artisans each time you know each time a unit with this code is selected to shoot or fight you can roll one rune roll it's the new salamanders one or one half of was it uh caesaric yeah um pretty good like you know in ages gone by when this had a real hit in it as well this was the single most powerful thing you could take um but danny what are your thoughts there uh again like i think we talked about it uh in Sterikan, i think it's really it's really powerful um 
Uh, and yep. like just with the Necron weapon choices, I think it's very, it's very good. So not a bad choice at all. I mean, is it better than Eternal Conquerors? I mean, that's the question you have to ask yourself all the time. <laughs> I don't know, probably not. But it's uh, depending on how you want to play your army, it might be. They really set, set the measuring stick early <laughs> with this one, didn't they? Yeah. It's like, hey, every single thing you read from after Eternal Conquerors has to be better than Eternal Conquerors, or it's not a consideration. But Rad Wraith sounds pretty so sick, Danny. Rad Wraith is, units with this code have the following ability. Rad Wraith Aura. While an enemy unit, excluding vehicle units, is within one inch of this unit, subtract one from the toughness characteristic of models in the enemy unit. So... So that's Vanguard, isn't it? it? Yeah. From Adam. Yeah, it is. There's a couple of things in this book that also let you boost aura radiuses. So I think that combined with this yes. is super powerful. Like this, and this is a straight buff mm, yeah. on all the melee units. Because as long as they're fighting, yeah, uh, they're plus one strength effect. Yeah, tell, Michael, tell us a story. Chuck, Chuck yeah. over at BiffPod um, came up with this. When, well, at least it's the first time I heard it which was the command barge, which is a big kind of aura vehicle, like in terms of size. With this, mm -hmm. a plus three-inch aura would be uh, four inches of, of, you know, you could have it, full, it's reasonably fast too, so you could have this thing duck in and kind of tag a couple units with this in preparation of stuff. Also, I just thought of this. I wondered if, in conjunction, does this stack with the Conquering yes. Tyrant Protocols edition? plus three so you could have a seven inch bubble off this giant command barge <laughs> just everything miserable in that turn uh that sounds heinous and i love it that's great i may have to change my feelings about conquering tyrant if i want to be weird <laughs> <laughs> i mean so the, the other one i'll see the other one that automatically came to my mind would be is it what's the destroy lord called now it's called something different well, isn't it the yeah oh okay yeah so there is a regular short letters as there's a, a, a secondary one but yeah those guys are the same they got they, they they jump around they're quite mobile um and there's a bunch of different ways you can deep strike things as well so i feel like that they're another good way, way of doing this but this is just on anything your freaking warriors give stuff minus one strength that's crazy yep and since it's an aura yeah, right. Right. Uh, this is number two right behind eternal conquerors yeah um i think yeah i think this is so far this is the second this is easily second best um uh who just read out rad raced was that you was michael me. that was danny michael it's your turn baby in movable yeah. phalanx it's and sick is, and i actually think this one's really interesting so uh if an attack with a damage characteristic of one is allocated to an infantry model unless that model's unit made a normal move advanced or fell back add one to any armor saving throws against that attack not only can that stack with cover because mm. it's not cover. But it says attack. So that means in melee, if you didn't move, that's plus one. Wow. That's wow, that is really good. Yeah, I know. Damn, they're not making this easy. Unfortunately, Eternal Conquerors, I think, is still just better, but then that second spot is being fought over all of a sudden. Um, yeah, I, I think that's very, very compelling. It is very compelling. You can this you could really build into these, really build into them. Um I'll jump over to Unyielding, which is pretty cut and dry, so I don't, we won't waste much time on it. But models with this code have a 6-up Invuln. Self-explanatory as all hell. Um, Danny, tell us about Contemptuous of Can the I codes. say one thing about a mobile uh, failing first real quick? I, I, no. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this one is really great if you're going second, because like none of your units will have moved that battle round, and so all of your stuff will be plus one armor save like all the time. Um, so definitely think about that. 
you could also line that up with the cover giving the cover giving protocol as well, and essentially get yep. plus two. Yeah, just just stand, just ranked up, standing in the wind, just feeling the breeze on your metal face with plus two to save. Seems good. Um, anyway, so uh, unyielding is good. I mean, it's a little durability buff, right? And uh, Necrons are notorious. Well, they definitely got better with this book, where the armor saves have kind of improved on a lot of stuff, but. Um, like the Necron Warriors are still a four up armor save. Um, there's like, uh, this is great on like Scarabs, yeah. uh, to get a six up involved on them. Um, to get a save, yeah, to get a save, thank you, <laughs> without having to use the chronometron on them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's fine. Do you want to read out, um, Contemptuous for us? Sure. Uh, each time, so this is, uh, Contemptuous of the Codes. Each time a model with this code makes an attack against a character unit, you can add one to that attack sit roll. Uh, super super circumstantial. Um, I don't really think this is a great one. Are you playing knots? I want to caveat this sure. actually. Um, yeah, I've thought a lot about this one, and if you are interested in um, death marks, like let's say you took two squads of ten, I think that's very interesting because those are heavy weapons. So this helps bypass the problem inherent in those when you deep strike them down or if you use the stratagem to bring them in and to ice a character, you're just going to see less characters in general in ninth. And so there people are being very careful in what they're picking and what they're choosing. There's a bunch of ways to stack bonuses onto the death mark weapon and such and make it a little more compelling and interesting on top of its already improved profile and ability i actually think that's pretty cool if you're looking to ice those critical critical characters knock out critical auras do that kind of thing i i could see that being useful because it gets rid of that penalty right yeah, I suppose the same, th- same could be said if you had the hex. The hex mark kicks on two already, twos already, doesn't it? But if and you were shooting into a forest, it ignores modifiers, so it doesn't care. Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. Um, next one is unmerciful horde. Each time a model, uh, I'm sorry, a morale test is taken for a unit with this code, you can reroll the test. Old, then and then it shall, shall know no fear. On a, on an army that is leadership ten across the board, I'm not sure how much mileage you're even going to get from that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that's worth much discussion. Um. Uh, Michael, would you, unless you guys disagree in any way? Nope, no disagreement. No, nope, fair enough. Um, Michael, you want to tell us about Masters? Next one. Masters of the Marshal. Each time a unit with this code is selected to shoot or fight, you can re-roll one hit roll when making the unit's attack. It's the hit roll re-roll version of the yep. Master Artisans. I'm sorry, Superior <laughs> Artisans. Um, <laughs> so I actually think it's a lot less useful than the re-roll mm. wound. It's just I kind agree. of bad because we already get plus one to hit, and it's like okay, you know, reroll one of them. I'd rather reroll that wound. Yeah, it, it just seems across the board, a, a rerolling a wound roll is more is so much more valuable than rerolling a hit roll. And I don't know if it's true for every book that's going to be coming out, but I can safe to say that for every book that came out in eighth edition and the, the the two we're looking at right now, Space Marines and now this one, um, hit roll modifiers are a lot easier to come by than wound roll modifiers. So yeah, I just don't see this being of much value at all, to be honest. And nope, disagreement, Danny? I think that, that, that wraps it up. That's pretty solid analysis. Concise. Tell us about butchers, because it, it sounds does. cool. Who wouldn't want just butchers? That's just the word. That's all it is. It's, uh, <laughs> in, the, the trade is pretty simplistic, too. Add one to charge rolls for units with this code. Um, so, uh, again, like this is the, the as part of uh, Novak. Uh, 
I mean, it's it's a good part of it, especially if you're going to be coming in from reserve before you assault that kind of stuff. There's a couple of things that could really benefit that. Um, plus one to charge is never anything to sneeze at, for sure. Mm, agreed. Um, I don't think there's much more to add there either. So, Mark, you want to jump into seven? Unless you've got something about butchers you really want to touch on. Butcher, we, we kind of covered it in Novak. It's, uh, mm, it's agreed. the best part of Novak, and it's available for your consumption. Yep. Severed, a unit with this code benefits from the selected directive of your army's active command protocol while it's within nine inches of a character instead of six. So you can do some uh, some stacking and, and get that up, you know, nine or like maybe 12 if you have a plus to your R range on that. So that's that's kind of cool. Um, you know, a little bit better, might make the directives a little bit easier mm. to around and use yeah i agree but that, that, that one is also cut and dry it seems like the last six or seven of these have been very cut and dry very self-explanatory and the first uh, three yeah. of the first five were just blow your mind with the amount of depth that they add but the last one here is vassal kingdom and this one is just select one of the following dynasties to use and you can just use the dynastic code of your yeah. choice so you can have your own flavor make it worse because it doesn't get the specialist doctrines and stuff and then give it back the thing that you're giving up in the first place which doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me and never has but here we are <laughs> Uh, is there something I'm missing there, Danny, or is that just it? Uh, nope. It's not even as good as like a successor chapter, like where they still get to use all know, the and relics and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a worse yeah. chapter. It's it's actually awful. If you're just gonna, if you want to be a vassal kingdom, just play that kingdom. Just play that dynasty. Don't 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 mince your words about it. But to me, like, so we've got Eternal Conquerors. We have Rad Raised, and we have a Movable Phalanx. I feel like. Eternal Conquerors is the only true evergreen one. It's no matter what army, what build, what archetype you want to play, it's going to give you mileage. Rad Wraith and a Mobile Phalanx are two things you can really build into, though, and you can build your the whole core of your army around getting mileage out of these. Is that is that a true statement there, Michael? Agree. Um, and I, my special snowflake choice, of course, is Contemptuous of Codes. Um, in my desperate attempt to make uh, Death work. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope they're good. I, we haven't got to them yet, and I know there are a lot of buffs there that might make them better, but I still don't know if they're good. I think that's the question at the moment. Um, Danny, what are your thoughts overall on these uh, dynastic I, think it, I, I also like Pitiless Hunters. I think Pitiless Hunters is pretty decent, um, but you just you have to, like just like any army, right? you have to build to your strengths. So uh, make sure you're taking the right units for the right di- dynastic modes or mm. traditions. Fair enough. All right, jumping over to Circumstances of Awakening. These are your baby bonuses. Yeah. So our first one here is the Ancient Stir. Um, add one to the move characteristics of Canoptic models with this code. Sick. And the second part being each time a Canoptic unit with this code makes a piling or consolidate move, so long as each model in that um, so long as each model that moves ends and moves closer to the closest enemy model, you can move four instead of three. So you get plus one to your pile and it consolidates if you're moving towards the closest, of course, and then plus one to your move just base. That seems pretty cool, especially if you want to take a um, cannot be heavy scarab list. That, that, that seems amazing. Yeah, Michael. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. Not just scarabs. Um, there's so much canoptic in the book now. Uh, if you're going, if you're leaning hard into that canoptic life, and like you want your <laughs> to hustle up the board, um, that helps with that, and it helps your scarabs get get their move on. Like I don't know that I would be. I, it's certainly out of all of them the. Not just the obvious choice, but a, a very, very, very strong one. Mm. I, I, it's just flat strong, isn't it? Danny, any um, thoughts? Anything that makes Scarabs better is good in my book. So uh, this definitely makes them better. So I really like this one. Couldn't set it better. You want to keep going yeah, back no and tell problem. us about the next we one? we got a Rise Against the Interlopers. And this is each time a model with this code makes a melee attack against an infantry or biker unit, 
An unmodified hit roll of six automatically wounds the target. Um, I, I, this is this is solid. Uh, there's so many good melee weapons that Necrons have. Mm. It just gives them a nice little boost. Um, or if you're going to take like a like a melee centric army, I think this is pretty pretty good. Well, or if you're blender if you're blender mode with like let's say uh, Lich Guard and you get them up to the six five or six yeah. attacks a piece, you're going to get a lot of mileage out mm. of that with every single one of those guys auto wounding like mathematically, you know, pretty much guaranteed. So like you know. At seven, eight auto wounds feel good. Yeah, this has the right. This has the right caveats on it. Being infantry or bikers. I mean, if this was if this was monsters and vehicles, it would be pretty ordinary by comparison because there's just so many less of those in the meta at the moment. People are really stacking those infantry, and the infantry is where the missions won and lost. So I feel like it's it's the right side of the terms. Agree. Uh, I'll grab the next one and then we'll hit it over to Michael for the one after. So this is a healthy paranoia. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, adds three to the range characteristic of range weapon, excluding pistols that models in this code are equipped with. Quite good. Yeah, quite strong. I mean, nothing to write home about, but it's it's not it's when it, when it is relevant, it's going to be quite relevant. Um, Michael, any thoughts there? Yeah, this is the one that I, I take in my custom Deathmark Dynasty um, because adding three-inch range to their guns is nice. That makes them thirty nine mm-hmm. inch range, so mm-hmm. that that's pretty cool. Can can what's your can we recall your dynasty tomb of the snowflakes? hundred <laughs> uh, <100%. laughs> percent. I want to see a, I want to see a Michael Timpe army list on a, a podium or a stat center. It's good. tomb of the snowflakes. Oh, so I'll good. buy some of that Hallmark like paper that your grandma will send you a card in. <laughs> <laughs> snowflakes in the background, like an motif. Uh, that's so good. All right, uh, you want to grab the next one as well, Michael? Jump in the Relentless Expansionists. Yes. Uh, at the start of the first battle round, before the first round begins, you can move the normal move up to six inch. This is the, in my opinion, the clear winner. Um, you can use this with any army. You can use this with any game because you can move outside of your deployment zone. There's no restrictions. You could hi- you could jump behind cover. You could do all kinds of like crazy, fun stuff. Like You could deploy super aggressively um see uh after the first battle round so you already know who's going first right um this lets you this lets you um be much more aggressive than you could otherwise before you've seen the role in your deployment and then Mm. you see the see the role and you're like and mistakes were made and you just like hop back um make life hard change your screening around or just be like now i want to press out or they're gonna you know you're building up for that um deep strike denial so you're like getting that Getting that motion early. Uh, it's a free move, so up to six, great. Like uh, your stuff is a little bit slow, so that gets you up the board a little bit. For things that want to control the center or uh, or do melee, that that puts you exactly where you want to be on this smaller board. Uh, overall, gigantic win. Very very hard. This is, in my opinion, this is the eternal conquerors of the of this section, mm-hmm. and is very very hard to get away from this. I tend to agree. Danny, thoughts? Yep. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like uh, it's so it's no, so it powerful. Like the ability to get a pregame scout move on your entire army like this, and just get closer to those objectives. Even if you're like, even if you're not playing a super uh, like melee focused army, just the ability to get your obsec or double obsec units like that much closer to the objectives on the first turn, so that you can start scoring turn two, is huge. Huge, huge, huge. 
This this to me is uh, it borders on game breaking. It's not. I don't think it's quite going to be the, the decider in a game, but it, it really is going to set the tone. The, the giving someone agency and control of the deployment phase and the deployment of the optics of a deployment phase, and this is something that wankheads like myself who, who aspire to be top table gamers talk about optics of the deployment phase. And when your opponent sees you deploying in a certain way, they deploy themselves in a certain way. It changes the reactions and what, where people put things. But um, the fact that you can then alter those. Um, afterwards and then change the perception of what they thought the battle was going to be purely for, oh, straight straight away. Ridiculously powerful. On top of that, it's a six-inch move, guys. The, all the troops in your army move five, so you get, you get this cherry on top extra inch for just no apparent reason, maybe because they forgot the stuff moves five instead of six. They say, oh, yeah, first turn, they move quicker <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. I actually, I don't no, think that's, that's a good true. question, and I don't, I don't know. If yeah, I think it's a normal move of your move characteristic up to six. Like I don't oh, okay. I'm reading wrong. Warriors moves an extra inch just because it says they can go. I think it's both there. I think it's there to restrict things like wraiths and scarabs and other fast moving things. So uh, they're not sold halfway across the board. I think the word, the term normal move is the mm-hmm. really critical component of that sentence. I might be wrong, but that was my take on it. No, I think actually now that you've said that, that actually makes a lot more sense. Because I was like, why would they make something that moves five move faster for no reason? But yeah, that is tons better. Because what they're doing is they're bringing the ceiling down on the things that could just speed across the board and get wholesale turn one charges. Tomb blades moving fourteen. For yes, turn one. Like, exactly right. No, no. I mean, well I do. That your opponent. <laughs> yeah, so true. Uh, all right, moving on. Danny, you want to tell us about sure. isolationists? Um, isolationists is each time a model with this code makes an attack with a rapid fire weapon that targets a unit within 12 at one to the strength characteristic of that attack. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of rapid fire weapons in the Necron armory. Uh, things like uh, tomb blades, immortals, uh, warriors with goss flares, ghost arcs, that kind of stuff. Um, just being able to push up and get in range and boost those to either strength five or strength six, I think is pretty good. I think this one actually combos up pretty nicely too with rad wreath. Um, so that you can reduce mm. Marines to toughness three and then shoot them with strength six weapons. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, it feels, feels good. real good. <laughs> but even boosting the ghost <laughs> strength five well, for twenty shots, like that's pretty that's pretty baller. <laughs> Yeah, you're moving from fours to threes. That's hot. Well, the thing is, like, uh, strength four is looking a lot worse at the moment, um, simply because of the prevalence of toughness five that came out in a new marine book. So, pushing that envelope with the, the on the strength is is actually really powerful. I think. All right. Uh, jumping over to no warrior nobles. Uh, each time a noble model with this code, each, well, essentially each time a, a character model noble with this code makes a melee attack reroll, a hit roll of one, and a wound roll of one. So they become their own lieutenants and, and captains for themselves yeah uh, michael is this seems like something your snowflakes might like <laughs> uh no <laughs> I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't i don't care about this at all yep no, that's fair i don't i don't care either nope, Danny. it's just it's just not good i i can't think of a real practical application for this i've got zero th- reasons to want to look at this again um michael tell us about the last one we have interplanetary invaders uh, vehicle units with this code are eligible to shoot in a turn which they fell back, but if they do so until the end of the turn, until a model in that unit makes a range attack, subtract one. So basically, it's ultramarines for vehicles, fall back, and then uh, get to shoot with a minus one. Uh, vehicle models with this code do not suffer the penalty for hit rolls incurred for firing heavy weapons while the enemies are in engagement range with their unit. That's actually pretty nice if you have heavy yep. weapons that are engaged. I would have to look through what's available to see 
what is actually impacted by that. But overall, this is not a bad one. Yeah, so I mean, I can't actually think of many things apart. Is it uh, would it be the the heavy gorse cannons or the yeah, it'd be the heavy gorse cannons on um, destroy. But what are the barges? Annihilation barges. That's the only thing I can think of that's so, actually going to get married out of this. So is there anything else? The um, Shark Stalker. Oh no, they won't get this anyway. They're 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 not uh, yeah. uh, dynasty units. Yeah, they're dynastic agents. So is it literally that one model? Is well, it, the, uh, <laughs> the Annihilation barge. The Reanimator is, is there, The vehicle? Annihilation barge is the same gun. Okay, yeah. Um, if if that was a wholesale thing, like if you if the one of the tiers of the DDA gun wasn't blast, or you know the maybe the monolith, or maybe there's a monolith Lord of War and it shoots in combat anyway. I don't even know, but um, it doesn't. It, it seems like they could have given some relevant buffs there, but because of the limitations on the unit choices, it seemed like that just fell flat on its face, didn't it, uh, Michael? Agree. I I actually am. While we were talking, I was going through the entire book looking for a single unit that cares. About this. <laughs> uh, and my takeaway on it for non-blast heavy weapons is coming up super short. It looks like the monolith could fire its uh, its death ray there with no no penalty. That's one shot. That's that's cool. Uh, oh my! That's it. So you this <laughs> if you care about your monolith. Getting that extra shot, that appears to be the uh, one place and you get to do it. The monolith is Titanic. But see, the thing, the issue is that, it, yeah, it's a monolith, it's, yeah, I was about to say, it's a monolith Titanic. Yeah, so Danny, it can fall back and shoot anyway. It doesn't care. Um, oh, he's talking about the do not suffer the hit penalty rolls for firing oh, sure. at engagement range. It has a heavy weapon. Okay. It has a heavy, yeah. and actually you might want to yeah. engage a monolith. So like if you, that die roll is really important to you, like roll that die, buddy, because you earned <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this look the interplanetary invaders reads really well. It actually, when you read it, yeah, oh, cool. This is a cool buff. This is a cool buff. And then you try and think about the applications, and there are ah, this sweet f all. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, that annoys me. If you're running Doomsday Arc, still the first part can be really relevant because that big cannon is uh, a blast weapon. So oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So if you I mean, want to Doomsday Arc out of trouble. That that is a hundred percent not a bad way to go about it. Mm. Well, there could also be the uh, the option for the attack baguettes, where you take a lot of um, what are the barges? What are the the resurrecting dudes barges? Jeez. Oh, the ghost arcs have rapid fire weapons anyway. They don't care. Yeah, but I mean the fallback. Again, we have to fall back and shoot. Still, um, you I can mean, just sure. ram. Sure. Ram them into people and just be aggressive with them, but I mean, you're not you, you're going to do that at the at the expense of relentless expansionists and eternal conquerors and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's just there's just it's just not a thing that's going to happen. I um, suppose I wanted to also caveat that the flyers have heavy weapons, so if something with was uh, that had fly was engaging them and you wanted to shoot those, um, that would help with that too. Yeah, that's yes, that's quite true. So, gentlemen, that circumstances of awakening, Danny, what are your overall thoughts? Uh, I mean, I think Relentlessly Expansionist is the clear winner here. Um, I think that uh, mm-hmm. there are a couple of other decent ones. I think Arise Against the Interlopers is good. I think uh, Isolationists is also pretty good, depending on what your other compositions are. Yeah, I, and ancient, I agree there. If you're going so, to Ancient, ancient Stir yeah. is nice. Yeah, Ancient Stir, I, I, I feel like Agent Stir is you build around one. Your Relentless Expansionist is your your evergreen. Um, gentlemen, I think we're going to take an ad break at this point. We're going for a healthy uh, hour and, ten, and 20 minutes. But uh, we're gonna, you're going to hear from a couple of people involved with the, I don't know, doing marketing with the Frontline Gaming Network. Hopefully some interesting and engaging stuff. And we will be right back with the stratagems. 
This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And we are back from another loving ad break. Everyone loves them. Everyone knows them. They, they are what they are. Put, they keep the lights on. They pay the bills. Um, we are here to talk about stratagems. I still have these two wonderful gentlemen with me. I still got Michael. Still got Danny. Now the strats here. Uh, so how many? T- I think you, you gents could probably wheel off on one hand the relevant stratagems from the last codex. I think that was three that I can think of. Is there more than that? <laughs> there, there was one I liked. <laughs> there was one you liked. Which one? The uh, my doom, my doom scythe one. The yeah. mortal wound. Oh yeah. I, so I was I thinking think I used solar pulse once or twice. I think I improved my reanimation once or twice. I think I let my scarabs reanimate a time. That was neat. Um <laughs> a time okay. in an addition. Fantastic. <laughs> Danny, anything to add? Uh let's see here. I would let's see. So no cover. I use that was I use that all the time. Doom side strat all the time. I used to command reroll a lot. Uh, <laughs> does that count? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. The uh, the Mefret strat was okay sometimes. I uh, definitely used that one before. Yeah, um, Southtech. I, I was being flippant. I definitely used the Southtech strat from time to time. Um, yeah, that's true. The only one on top of that I thought people might have, have used is the the double my will. And that's it. That's the oh, only yeah. ones I can oh, And also the plus one save with when I ran Nihilek, especially with yeah. the Tesseract mm-hmm. bolts and stuff. Oh um, yeah, that was legit. Yeah, I did. I oh, and the deep strike with uh, with uh, Nefrek as well. So that's actually that's cool. We re-reeled off like three or four of the specific ones that we all got that we got mileage. But anyway, we're going to jump into the generic ones here. First one, straight up, a dimensional corridor is one CP. Uh, use this stratagem at the start of your movement phase. Select one dynastic core infantry unit from your army that is on the battlefield. Remove that unit from the battlefield and reinforcement step of this phase. Set that unit back up anywhere on. Anywhere that is wholly within three of a friendly monolith and more than nine inches away from enemy models. Uh, that actually seems like it hasn't changed from last edition. It, it, and it was something no one used last edition, but hopefully the monolith has got a, a new lease on life. Danny, is this the same or am I crazy? Uh, I think it's different. I don't think you could use it if your unit, your original unit that you're targeting to move uh, was in melee range with an enemy unit. Yeah, they, 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 ah, okay. So it, it seems it's actually slightly improved. If for some reason you had a monolith uh, drifting Tokyo drift style in the backfield <laughs> and you <laughs> wanted to, you wanted to grab a core unit uh, out of a bad situation, you you could use it for that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Mike, you want to continue? Tell us about the next one. Yeah, techno oracular target targeting. Uh, it is one CP. Use this stratagem in your shooting phase before making the wound roll for an attack by a Necrons model in your army. Do not make the wound roll for the attack; it automatically wounds the target. Uh, this is actually kind of neat uh, for that's, a few yeah. for your few uh, for a few different models. Uh, for if you're using the Overlord guy with the uh, Tachyon staff spear thing, uh, the thing that does a decent amount of damage, you I could see a scenario where you use this and save the reroll for the to hit roll, so yep. that it automatically wounds. That might be kind of fun since I think it does like six damage 
once mm. per day. So that's kind so of cute. No, they're saying they're saying an attack made by a Necron's model. They're not saying an attack sequence. So anybody who thinks this is more than one dice, sorry, you're incorrect. This is only one dice. Yeah, from correct. Your, so, so um, one damage or the one damage roll, right? Mm, exactly so right. If you, uh, so if you have the what's it called or the Silent King's little uh, floating uh, buddies that are with him, the the weird little uh, weird little geometric shapes that float with him. They have a name, but I don't know what it is. Uh, they also have a high damage attack, like a six damage attack. That's also another potential use for them. So just just think, just thinking on the jank range, and I'll see if Daniel would check my thinking here. So let's, I'm just thinking jank wise. Let's say you're shooting a, a doomsday arc that has has gotten three wounds in on a target, and you need guarantee you have to at least one or two of these have to wound, and you decide to roll them one at a time. You roll the first one it fails. You roll the second one, it fails. Can you then spend one CP to make sure the last of those three automatically wounds? Yes. Yeah, because each yeah, that's attack what I thought died well. in its own yep. iteration. That's what I thought as well. When you get to that level of the in, in, like the intricate bits of this, this is actually really cool. Um, and, it's, and it's cooler on the things you wouldn't think of. Like, of course, I think that the best use for it is what um, Michael said, which was the Tachyron, Tachyron Arrow, I believe, unless it's been renamed in this book. But uh, yeah, even things that like even high strength, high potency things that you just need to add reliability to. I think I think it gets pretty cool. Um, I'll read out the next one, and then I'll check the stuff over to Danny for the one after that. This one is Extermination Protocols. We know it. We love it. It's 2CP. Uh, use a stratagem in your shooting phase when a locust destroyer or locust heavy destroyer unit from your army is selected to shoot to the end of that phase each time a model in that unit makes an attack you can re-roll the wound roll and we know how much better the wound roll is michael tell me a story it's less good than the old one but it's much more fairly balanced that's Uh, right we don't know what a battle tactic stratagem is i don't think but that terminology is there for whatever that means and I will say that the destroyers themselves, with the ability to fairly consistently make sure that your hit rolls are going to happen because they already reroll their ones to hit. Mm. Uh, I and you can also, but uh, they just have that baked in, so they're already pretty consistent firepower. Giving them the reroll wounds, it's actually not that much of a debuff. Like missing, you know, uh, let's say there's no minus to hit, missing on twos is like okay, fine, yeah. Rerolling the wounds where you actually care about it, that's great. Was it two CP last time or was it one CP? It, it used one. to be two as well. Oh, yeah, well, I thought it was two as well. Or was it? I'm pretty sure it's one. Oh, uh, I but, okay. I remember, it was one. Really, I remember it was really cheap. Experts, my ass. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danny, you I'm thinking about my, my, my <laughs> Necron reputation on the line here. Uh, <laughs> For uh, a strat that I used every game, this one I that one I mm-hmm. used all the time too. Uh, so the next one is yeah, Storm of to... Flimsy Blades. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, perfect, man. That's what I was going to ask cool. you. Uh, Storm of Flimsy Blades. Uh, use the stratagem at the end of the fight phase, like a flayed one's unit from your army within engagement range of an enemy unit. Um, and that unit can fight again. So this is the new terms and conditions we've seen attached to the previous fighting and strat, which is only limited to assault intercessors now. So essentially, like assault, as of right now, assault intercessors and flayed ones of the new codexes are the only things that can double attack in the game. Um, but yeah, you see that caveat has to be within engagement range. This is my issue with this now. You're actually not going to get to use it that much against the th- against things you want to use it against. This, you're you're going to use it now against like. Uh, a redemptive dreadnought or a vehicle yeah Michael? Well, it actually stacks really well with the novak strat which adds the plus one attack for the entire phase i know we have a that's true that, but getting getting your guys to five attacks twice mm. not terrible 
Yep. Well, where I said the issue with it was that the fact it has that, that, that caveat of engagement range. Flayed ones are so killy that even putting like 10 of them into a unit of, say, 30, 30 orc boys, they just pick themselves out of engagement range and you don't have the option to fight again. And then if they need to, they... I'm sorry, four attacks a piece, but still. Pretty good still, man. Um, Danny, am, am I wrong or is this... It's, it's good against... It's good when it's... Sorry. It's bad when you need it. It's not there when you need it, and like it, it's good against the stuff that you know it was always going to be good against. You. Things like tanks, things like knights. It, yeah, I yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those strats that you'd use like on a diminished unit of flayed ones after it's been assaulted by something that you just want to like trade for. Um, and make oh, that's sure true. It so like I think it's okay on that because like I see a flayed ones unit and I want to take twenty of them. I don't want to just take like ten or something like that. And so yeah. twenty flayed ones is pretty durable. Um, and you can probably use this to get some good damage back on so, on something or a couple of things that you can consolidate into, especially if you're close to mm. the enemy lines. But like, if you're being aggressive with it, it's not nearly as good. Well, Michael, sorry. interesting with that too, with the flayed ones, the big block that you're talking about, uh, not to jump into flayed ones forever. But uh, I actually think the uh, since they have the baked-in reroll uh, already to that mm. unit, the uh, or did they take that away? That is now they took. Yeah, yeah. The reroll. So the reroll. Their baked-in weapon reroll is not there. Okay. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. No, no, it is there. Um, Sorry, they do get to reroll failed wound rolls. Oh, okay. Oh wait, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. No, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. You don't. Okay. Um, they they do the against Cut this section. <laughs> Starting over. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, next one is fractural targeting. Um, it's fact, fractal, fractal targeting, fractal, fractal. whatever. Um, one CP. Use this strategy when you're shooting phase select one Tomb Blades unit from your army until the end of the phase. All rapid fire weapons that models equipped with that equipped are treated as being assault two weapons instead of being either rapid fire or whatever else before. Models in that unit do not suffer the penalty to hit rolls incurred for firing assault weapons in the same turn that their unit advanced. So this one is telling you that if you advance, you're going to get to Daka Daka and um, and not take the penalty. This seems pretty strong. I, I do like Tomb Blades. They are one of the, the limited core units that we ha- that are available to Necrons. But uh, Michael, what are your thoughts? I think it makes ga- the Gauss weapon on them uh, much much more kind of worth looking at uh, because you no longer lose that ability to uh, advance and get some mileage out of it. So I think the buff for the Gauss weapon, I think it's a, a, like a lateral buff for the um, Tesla weapon, since you can take away that minus for advance in doing it um, and does nothing for particle blasters. So Mm. that's fair. Um, Danny, are you are you a fan of Tomb Blades? Do you think this is this puts them over the top, or is this just a, a steadying hand? I think in certain builds, Tomb Blades are probably pretty solid. Uh, I just don't like those builds. <laughs> mm. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. It's not your cup of tea. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I think I think that they're okay. Uh, them being core gives them access to a lot of buffs that other units don't have, um, because the 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 core problem with that Necrons uh, have and the amount of buffs that are just applied to those units, but. Uh, that's something for another day. Uh, the uh, I think it makes so getting a plus one to hit uh, effectively for utilizing an assault weapon if you want to for one CP is probably not terrible. Um, if you need to be, you know, fifteen plus inches away from somebody, because remember that tomb blades, even though their bikes don't auto advance six like a lot of other bikes do, um, so yeah, they're yeah. still so, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so they're 14 plus D6 inches. So uh, if you really need to get that extra inch and still need to pump out some firepower, then you have this available to you. You want to continue and tell us about the Judgment. Next one. Oh, man, Judgment. It's my favorite thing. Uh, judgment of the Triarch. <laughs> uh, use a stratagem in your shooting phase uh, when a Triarch unit is selected to shoot or in the fight phase when a Triarch unit is selected to fight. Until the end of the phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, add one to the hit roll. Um, so this works on the Triarch Stalker uh, or it works on uh, the Triarch Praetorians. Um, so just being able mm -hmm. to get a plus one a plus one to hit on any like at will for one command point is very solid especially with how much better triarch praetorians got in this new book um it makes them uh, like a two plus to hit in combat is very powerful i think that's i think that's yeah. really good for them agreed Mark, uh, michael any thoughts yeah exactly what he said and i actually think it's very useful for a triarch stalker in particular as that thing degrades so you can overcome that degradation to some extent. Mm. That helps. I don't think it's going to help in melee at all with it, but it would help with the shooting. No, fair call. Um, next one is Eternal Protectors. This is one CP also. Use this stratagem in the fight phase. Select a Dynasty Lich Guard unit from your army until the end of the phase, whilst that unit was in three of a friendly noble. Add one to the attack's characteristic of each model in that unit. One CP for plus one attack when you're next to a character. That seems strong. Michael, do you have any thoughts there? Is this, is this a bread and butter? Uh, it's very. If you're running Lich Guard, it's really nice. Uh, Lich Guard already protect characters, so you probably want to combo into that anyway. And then yep. uh, getting plus one attack on those guys with a bunch of attacks is hot. We already talked about other things that make Lich Guard happy. So you can also uh, get an additional plus one from, some, say, something like Onrakar uh, or like Novak. Uh, they're allowed to be Novak with this. So kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I think I think anything that gives it one CP plus one attack, I think is just is strong, and especially on a on a strong unit such as the Lich Guard. But um, Danny, you're coming from a more of a shooting point of view with your archetype. What do you feel about this? Um, I haven't run Lich Guard yet in this uh, in in this with this book, so it's like kind of on my list of things to try. I uh, I was waiting until uh, I I got tired of playing uh, Eternal Conquerors. <laughs> um, <laughs> which i'll still probably play with lich guard because they're they're still they're still pretty solid yeah but the attack stacking is crazy you can get uh plus one attack a couple of different ways you can either do it randomly with saw tech from nemesaur zandrek um or you can do the novoke strat to give them the plus one uh attack as well um the saw yeah. of course is a little bit more car as well yeah, yeah, and, and, the, yeah. The the so the issue with this one is of course the three inches. Like once you made yeah. an assault move, it's sometimes hard to stay within three inches. And whether or not having guys close to a character that, that maybe will take them out of assault, if that's gonna be worth it for you. So I mean just you know, play by ear. It's something that you can kind of plan for, but uh this also could combo with that rad wreath thing you're talking about. If you're already planning to have a character nearby yeah. for rad wreathed. This would be good for that. Yep, for sure. Yeah, absolutely would. Um, Danny, continue if you want and jump on the next one. Okay, we've got uh, Resurrection Protocols. Um, so this one is pretty much the same uh, as it was before. It's a little bit different. Um, so this is when a Necron Infantry Noble or Necron Infantry Cryptech model is destroyed. Um, and use this in, it's, it's in any phase. You can choose to roll 1d6 at the end of the phase instead of using uh, any rolls that are triggered when that model is destroyed e.g. The, the surrogate host ability that Trazian has. Uh, if you do so on a 4+, plus, set the model back up on the table uh, as close to where they were destroyed as possible, 
and more than one inch away from enemy models with D3 wounds remaining. Um, this stratagem cannot be used to set up the same model more than once per battle. Um, so this was one CP before. Um, it's still in a four plus. In ninth edition, it's a little bit tougher to get the reroll on that like you were before. Uh, so the 75% chance to get back up. Um, but the nice thing about it is you do start with D3 wounds coming back. And oftentimes, yep. uh, if you die in like the assault phase, you'll come back, get back D3 wounds, and then you'll get another wound from living metal at the start of your command phase as well. Um, or so, two of your primal. Correct. Correct. Yes. Um, pretty good. So, yeah, this used to be one of the only trolly things that Necrons could do. <laughs> Realistically, those are only the jank troll things that they, they could pull out of the, the hat, pull the rabbit out of the hat. And I like that they've still got it. Um, and I feel like the characters have only gotten better in this one as well and, and have only gotten more important. Like back in. Um, in eight, you could you could realistically stand to lose your characters. They didn't really matter that much. But I don't think you can say the same for ninth now. Um, Michael, would that be a fair statement? It would. I used resurrection protocols pretty extensively because I really liked my destroyer lords in eighth, and they were infantry. Yes. Yep. So this guy with six wounds popping back up with his living metal, and I often gave him the nano. You know, when I was doing tanky build, it was the nano scarab. So he was super phylactery. He basically would just come back with full health and just be yeah. full again, which was great. Mm, that's pretty cool. All right, jump over to Strange Echoes, one CP also. You just strategy them in your command phase, select one Catan Shard model from your army. Uh, select one of the powers from the powers of Catan. That model does not know the selected power replaces one of the powers of Catan. The model does know. So that is the same as like the Chaos Familiar strat for Chaos. You get to swap out what essentially what would be a psychic power in any other book for a psychic power you don't know. So if you find that you were, you were taking one that was there to kill hordes and by turn three you killed all the hordes, you can swap it out for something that's better against what's left. But uh, Michael, does that scream power for you? I mean, to, to me, I, I think the, the, the powers are quite good. When we get to them, you'll probably see why. But is this something you're going to use often? Uh, yeah, anytime you run a Satan, I, I think that you could, have, since you have to have your stuff picked on your list now, mm -hmm. uh, I believe that this is very, very strong because you can take a universal power, but there's a lot of times where you might get to the table and it's like, oh, shoot, like they're playing a uh, gaunt carpet army. Uh, yeah. I really like to change over to the every model within nine inches of this guy. You know, I might do some more wounds as opposed mm -hmm. to the to one single unit or they have a critical character i wish i had time zero i'm gonna go grab that yep. perfectly said uh do you want to continue and grab the deathless arise so the strange echoes for the satan shard i believe that you you are going to use this uh essentially since the satan powers have to be picked on your list in the beginning the value comes in in a situation where you come across an army where maybe the power you picked, uh, you know, you, maybe you took antimatter meteor because it's a pretty safe bet most of the time, but this time you're facing 200 gaunts and you say, Hey, I want that. Uh, I want the ability to, in a nine inch bubble, potentially do more than D three mortal wounds and pick up some more yeah. against a horde army, or they have a critical character. So you want to times arrow uh, and maybe pick up that character easily. So you can slot into that. Yeah, exactly right. Now, um, I'm not sure, it, it's it's very reminiscent of a, of a chaos one that we, we talked about. I mentioned before, but Danny, any any other, other anything else to note about Strange Echoes? No, I think it just gives you some extra utility that you didn't have. Yeah, um, Danny, do you also want to jump in and do Deathless Arise? Yeah, sure. Uh, so use the stratagem in your command phase. Uh, select one Technomancer model from your army until the end of the phase. That model can use its rights of reanimation ability one additional time. 
so this, of course, uh, right to free animation is the ability for a technomancer model, which is the old crypt tech model, um, yep. to bring back one core model that's been just previously destroyed uh, to a unit. Or if it's warriors, you can bring back D3 warriors with it. Um, so it's, 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 go ahead. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's actually, it's actually not too bad. It's, it's making it a bit more like a um, a space marine apothecary than anything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely a nice ability. Um, the 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 issue with it is there is a caveat to right to reanimation where you can't use it uh, on the same unit twice. Um, so yep. you can't bring back like two lich guard from a unit or two tomb blades, but you could bring back like for instance a tomb blade from two different units or a lich guard from two different units, which is kind of nice. So, That's true. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, jumping over to dimensional destabilization. So this is a, a two CP or a one CP stratagem. Um, the, use the stratagem at the end of your movement phase when a Catan shard model from your army has used a power of the Catan um, or C Tan, however you want to say it. Uh, roll one D six. That model can immediately use the corresponding power from the powers of Catan, even if it has already been used this turn so that's cool even already been used if uh the model has a titanic keyword the stratagem costs two cp other than one this seems really good yeah michael i would agree with this uh i think either if you're running the uh tesseract vault or if you're running any regular satan or multiple you know multiple stands if you have a satan available to you uh you're going to want to utilize this because none of the powers are unusable mm. so you you're going to get some kind of mileage out of it, especially if you position well. I think only uh, two of them have a critical placement component. So if you place correctly with the understanding that you intend to um, try to go ham on this, I I think it's a really good call. I th- I, I would say use it. Yeah, and use it judiciously. Uh, Danny, you're a big fan, aren't you? Yeah, I quite like this one. Uh, the thing you have to be careful of, you want, like Michael said, uh, there's uh, one Satan power that has a range of nine inches. Um, so just be aware of that limitation. Like if you roll a four for Cosmic Fire, uh, you might have a hard time uh, utilizing that. That might be a waste of command point. Yeah. You have nobody within nine. But other than that, no, use totally it every fair. turn, baby. <laughs> totally fair enough. You want to keep going, Danny? Tell us about the next one. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we got Hand of the Fair on. Um, so oh, not this one. Right, this one. Rewind. What are you doing? Oh, sorry. I, in Tropic Strike. I'm sorry. I got it. I got it. I got it. In Tropic Strike, uh, this is for uh, a Satan shard in the fight phase. Um, when he's selected to fight, use it. It's two command points. Until the end of that phase, mm-hmm. each time a melee attack is made by that model, uh, invulnerable saves can't be taken against that attack. So, Wowie. Yeah. What an upgrade, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it used to be just one attack for one model, right? Uh, so... Uh, uh, now uh, your Satan Shark just gets to ignore impulse saves. And all their attacks have great armor penetration values, like minus three, minus four, um, and either their D6 damage or flat three. Um, or uh, in the case of the Nightbringer, if he wants to use this sweep attack, he can use that to ignore invulnerable saves because it doesn't normally do that. Um, so just getting like 12 attacks from the Nightbringer that ignore impulse saves on like uh, demons or something like that, like a unit of demons is pretty nice uh, just to do some do some uh, horde clear, uh, but otherwise, yeah, great against characters, of course, always. Just seems seems just bonkers good, really. Uh, especially um, it's it, it feels like uh, our across the board invulnerable saves are getting less potent, mostly due to the nerf to to storm shields. But um, 
it seems like we're going to have more invulnerable saves scattered around the place. At least, at least that's my gut feeling. But Michael, this seems like something that's just stupidly powerful. Yeah, it's extremely good, and I think it like if you guys like everyone was saying, uh, big buffs to everyone except for the Nightbringer, who has act. Well, it does help the Nightbringer, but he already has access to a, a capability of this with his big swing. Uh, yeah, but- I think it's the biggest buff to the Transcendent Satan, who's already the cheapest Satan, and it just makes all the, those melee punches uh, so much better. Yeah, not much has been said about the the Transcendent either, so hopefully we'll give him a bit more love as we go through this, but uh, a, a good pick up there. Now, next one is Hand of the Pharaoh, um, as Danny said before. This is 2CP. Uh, you can do stratagem before the battle when you are mustering your army. If your army does not contain a model with the Pharaoh keyword, select one Necron's Overlord model from your army, excluding named characters. That model gains the Pharaoh keyword, and in your command phase, it can use its My Will Be Done ability one additional time. You can only use this stratagem once. So it used to be 1CP every turn to use your My Will Be Done Again, now it's one CP uh, before the start at the start of the game, or um, is it before the battle? So that would be on your. It would be no, denoted on your list, wouldn't it? It's two CP and it's it's on your list for sure. Apologies, yeah, two PC and it would be on your list. But yeah, that, that means you just you just a, a net value gain of four CP compared to if you're doing the same thing every turn in the last book. That just seems like a, a good idea, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty cut and dry there. So I think it's an interesting design choice in that, like, they've made the marine. Uh, the Marine character upgrades are all now points as opposed to mm-hmm. like command point upgrades. Um, and yep. I feel like it's sh- this, this may have been better served as just like a points upgrade that you pay for an overlord instead of a command points upgrade. But I mean, it's fine. It's, it's, it's a decent ability. Um, yeah. No, that's fair. I suppose if you're building like the phalanx list, the, 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 the metal tired, the chrome tired or whatever, you're going to get a lot of value out of this on, you know, two units to 20 warriors instead of, you know, instead of not i guess um but the next one I, I might just cover the next two together because they are pretty interchangeable and i think i i noted them specifically in the space room ones as well so this is um dynastic heirlooms and rarefied uh, so ref rarefied. yeah rarefied mobility it is that was right um so this is the the plus extra wall of trades and the plus extra um relics isn't it yes Yep. And so they're the same, the same as they were in the Space Marine book. In a, in a 2,000 point game, you can use each of these up to three times. So you can have your free Warlord and your free Warlord trait and your free Relic, and then you can have a three additional Warlord traits and Relics. Now, this is, a, this is a bit of a paradigm shift for um, Necrons, but admittedly, prior to this book, Necrons didn't have a bunch of Relics and Warlord traits worth taking, did they? Uh, Michael? We had we had one of each that were pretty good. Yeah. And that, what was that? That was the um, Veil of Darkness? It was and the, the, the get a command point is hyperlogical yeah. just and the veil of darkness. Yeah, exactly right. But now there's, a, I think there's a sleuth of um, decent, decent to good ones uh, that you can be used to on different things. And we might get to them on this episode. We might not. But uh, Danny, anything to add here, or is this just exactly what it looks like on paper? You get, uh, you get some options here that you that you didn't previously have. Uh, I, I love having the ability to take extra warlord traits. I really hope that most all armies get the option to do that. Hmm. No, I agree too. Um, Danny, you want to continue and go with the next one? So we have Enslaved Protectors. Uh, this is a 1CP stratagem. Uh, use a stratagem in your opponent's charge phase. Select one canopic unit from your army until the end of the phase. If that unit is eligible to perform heroic interventions, or this unit is eligible for, to perform heroic interventions as if it were a character. Nice. That seems yeah. pretty saucy. What do you think of the applications there? Uh, great on wraiths, uh, good on spiders, um, like uh, canopic Scarabs. spiders. Uh, it's. Mm. I'm sure that there's some applications where it's probably pretty good on scarabs or something like that, but that's going to be uh, probably few. Well, scarabs are a screen unit. It makes them into a pretty serious threat. Sure, 
Especially if you're yeah, playing yeah, like uh, Novoke with an extra minus one AP on their attacks and that kind of stuff. Like it's probably, it's pretty decent. So this has the ability to be a little bit of a gotcha. So the terms and conditions here are really quite good. In, in other books or in other iterations of this, you would have seen the same strategy be if a character within X has been charged or as if something has come into engagement range of character within X, this unit can do it. This has none of that. You could string out, a, I think what Michael is getting at, you could string out a max unit of scarabs and then the back tail of that is within... Um, sorry, is uh, is able to perform a heroic intervention um, as if it was a character. And you can just slingshot yourself across the table another three inches. You can move in advance, use Nova, sorry, it was a Nefrek to get your big move in advance right up to next to somebody and say, man, you've got to fall back off this objective or kill all this entire Scarab unit or it's going to intervene into you and start wrapping stuff. Um, I feel like there's a lot of applications here just above and beyond just the protecting and defending stuff, even though it's called enslaved protectors. Is that what you were getting at, Michael? Yeah, especially, and I wanted to add for those scarabs, like if they are Novak, you can give them that plus one attack too. So all of a sudden, these things can mob into you if they decide like, oh, we didn't quite get there, or you know, we're we're a little too close. Mm-hmm. Um, also, might be a little bit of uh, synergy play with the additional uh, four inch consolidation as well. So. Oh, okay, yeah, that is pretty. That is pretty cool. If you do manage to line that up in like a canopic heavy list, that could get a bit of mileage. But yeah, I think this is as more than a, more than meets the eye and the applications of this. I think this has better uses aggressively than it does defensively. And I always like things like that, the things that you can use to turn the tables on your opponent. And these things, like, like I said, this could be a gotcha if your opponent doesn't know what's coming. But um, you know, you t- this is something you tell your opponent you can do at the start of the game if they ask. Um, you, you, know, you should mention that because the thing that yeah. came to my mind was what if you had a unit of wraiths chilling behind a wall and they thought they were safe? That's right. And you like, yep. popped your way through the wall or like yeah. Kool Aid man your way into combat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, all right. Next one is. Stellar Alignment Protocol. This is another 2CP slash 1CP strat. Use this stratagem in your command phase. Select one Necron's vehicle model from your army that has a wound cast risk of 10 or more. To the start of this command phase, that model is considered to have its full wounds remaining for the purposes of de- de- determining which characteristics it has on its profile. If it is Titanic, that is 2CP instead. I like that they made that distinction um, because I do feel like Titanic units should pay more CP to operate at full. But uh, I, I do... I, I honestly think this should every single army in the game should have this. If you're an army that has a mechanized anything, you should have an operate on full um, stratagem. Is this a game, Danny? Is this a game changer for Necrons at all? Or is this just par for the course? They they already had the strat. Yeah, so I thought I thought they already had it as well, but uh, I couldn't quite remember because there's a lot of forgettable strats <laughs> in that book, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, fair enough. We'll just move on. Michael, do you want to read out the next one for the us? It was called Damage Control Override. Ah, of course. Maybe that's why I wasn't aligning my own brains. But uh, yeah. Michael, what's the next one? Yeah, reanimation prioritization, 2CP, strategic ploy stratagem. Use this stratagem in your opponent's shooting phase when a Necron's unit from your army is selected as the target of an attack. Select one canaptic reanimator model in your army that's within six inch of and visible to the target unit. That model can use its nanoscarab reanimation beam ability as if it were the command phase selecting the targeted unit to be healed by its reanimation beam any unit that was already being healed by the model's reanimation beam is no longer <laughs> to be healed by it what a, what a set of wording that is what that does is if you happen to be running a reanimator for some reason um that could be it's a nice reactive way to get a bit of mileage out of it what the reanimation beam does for those who are curious in your command phase normally you can select one friendly dynasty unit within six inches invisible to the reanimator at the start of your next command phase when the unit is within six inches invisible of that model 
Nice to say that again for some reason. That unit <laughs> is being healed by this model's reanimation beam. While a unit is being healed by a reanimation beam, they okay. Add one to the reanimation <laughs> protocol made for that unit. Each unit can only be ever healed by the one reanimation beam at a time. If only there were some easier lower word category. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a TLDR uh, stratagem. Uh, that's the biggest TLDR I've ever seen. Um, you're just like, oh, the, and then the, the, the moon is in ascendant and Saturn is in the seventh quarter. Then on the third Sunday, when the train's coming in from the south, you can, uh, 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 yeah, I'm who cares? Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure people who have, who have done the things they've done using rules as written, this is why we can't have nice things. This is this is your fault. I'm just going to put that out there. You know who you are. Yeah. Uh, but is this actually any good? Like, boil it down for me. So I, I don't want to jump to, I don't want to spoiler the reanimator. The reanimator is pretty bad. If you, for <laughs> some reason, had a reanimator in your army, which sucks because it does come in the Indominus box, and it is a really and it's freaking cool. Model. It's yeah. so cool looking, right? But if you're running the reanimator, for whatever reason, I actually really like the reactive nature of this. This it costs a lot of CP, like I think too much CP. But if you're gonna get that reaction off of it, like the reanimator is pretty much the way, aside from um, I believe the relic orb to get the plus one to your roll to reanimate. So, like, that's the one reliable way to get it multiple times, assuming someone doesn't point at your reanimator and go, I want that to go away, and it does. Um, but this, you know, if it's there, I mean, hey, get, get that mileage, right? Yeah. Um- Danny, any any more to add there, or would you just like you would you like to read out um, Burning Nightmares? So TLDR, uh, the reanimator is bad, and the stratagem is bad because it only works for the reanimator. I <laughs> uh, good. I think Michael did a good job addressing it up there. <laughs> yeah, as good sure. as good as can be done, Ma- Michael. I really yeah. appreciate your in depth uh, your in depth analysis on that, but I totally agree with you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, next one, mate. Uh, Okay, uh, so Burrowing Nightmares. Uh, use a stratagem at the starting movement phase. Select one unit of Ophidian Destroyers uh, or one Ophidian Destroyers unit from your army that is not that is on the battlefield. Remove it from the battlefield. In the reinforcement step of your next movement phase, you can set up that unit. You can set that unit back up on the battlefield more than nine inches away from enemy models. If the battle ends and the unit is not on the table, it is destroyed. Uh, yeah, so redeem strike Ophidians, which is kind of cool to get them out of danger. Um, uh, I think it's okay. It's one. It's only one command point, which is nice. Um, and if you're taking them, it might be a good way to like hop on a back objective that you get shot off of or something like that later on in the game. Or if you if you know yeah. that you're not going to be able to hold like a rear objective for very long, you can do it with that. You can do that with them. Um, so yeah, not, it's not 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 bad. Michael, what are your thoughts? If you're going to run the Ophidian Destroyers, I think it is a really kind of a fun way to. Um, you could quasi null deploy them, so you mm-hmm. get a situation where you put them on the board. Uh, let's say you ended up going first, and there isn't a really good place for them to go. Like you deployed in such a way where, like, hey, if I go second, they can countercharge, but it didn't work out that way. You could be like, all right, I'm just going to go ahead and pop them into the ground and uh, come around the next turn and have them pop out and be in a much better position than they were. Yeah, and of course they could be getting plus one to charge as well, right? A hundred percent. If they're Novak or they have that mm-hmm. trait, yeah. Yeah, that seems pretty. That seems that seems pretty good. Um, so jumping over to the next one, this is self destruction. This is one CP. Use this stratagem in your fight phase when a Canoptic Scarab Swarm unit from your army selected to fight. Select one model in that unit. After that unit has finished piling in, you can select one enemy unit within engagement range. 
of that model and roll 1d6. On a 2 to 5, the enemy suffers d3 mortal wounds. On a 6, the enemy suffers 3 mortal wounds. Um, that uh, canopy swarm model is then destroyed. Do you get to re-roll? Do you get to roll a reanimation for that model? I don't know. I, yeah? I, don't, I don't see why not if you're getting canaptic reanimate somehow. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, but uh, look, that was that's exactly the same as the last one, isn't it? They had this, exactly the same trait, exactly the same ability as the last book. This one's actually better. Uh, it gives it you is. the option for a potential three flat mortals. Oh, that's true. That is very true. Because before it was just uh, one to six, you get D3, yeah? Or is it just always D3? Yeah, it was two plus, you get D3. Yep. Yeah, yep. Not fair enough. But yeah, that's, that's pretty cute. But uh, Danny, you want to tell us about Prismatic Dimensional Breach? So this might be my favorite stratagem in the book for like uh, just jank that you can kind of do with it. You can do some really weird stuff, and it probably needs an FAQ. Um, but we'll see. Awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so use this stratagem in the reinforcement step of your movement phase. Select one dynasty core unit from your army that is in strategic reserves. And then select one friendly dynasty knight scythe uh, or dynasty monolith model that is on the battlefield. Uh, set up the core unit anywhere on the battlefield so it is wholly within three inches of that knight scythe or monolith and not within engagement range of any enemy units. This stratagem cannot be used in the first battle round. So uh, I think rule maybe rules is intended. I don't want to like make a ton of speculation on that. But like you would think about it being used on like, oh, well, I have, you know, uh, my monolith or, or night type is already on the table. I'm just going to pick up a unit that I have in strategic reserve uh, that's a core unit and stick them around my guy. There's no limitations on being close to the enemy. Um, so you can get like a one or two inch charge. Um, but what this also lets you do is strategic reserve a night scythe or monolith. Um, bring it down in reserves, then use the stratagem, and then also bring in a unit in strategic reserve around it to get like uh, kind of like about a six-inch charge, something like that, or five inches yeah. to get plus one. Um, <clears throat> so uh, just getting that like on command for like, I don't know, a unit of 10 Lich Guard or something like that is really good. Uh, <laughs> mm. uh, or just, you know, a full unit of 20 Warriors rapid firing is probably not terrible either. Um, but definitely some some cool applications here that you can use for this. Michael, is this as broke as Danny says it is? It probably needs an FAQ of some kind. I don't think it's broken if it works as intended because it does require a lot of moving parts. Uh, mm -hmm. You were forced to take a monolith or a night scythe to make this trigger, so you already paid a tax. However, uh, what everything he said is the way I perceive it working. And I actually think they should just leave it alone. And if someone wants to jump through the hoops to get a six-inch charge, like let them have it. Yeah, I should. I have less of a problem with the six-inch charge than I do if, of somebody getting a, a, an auto charge from reserve. The auto charge from reserve seems like something that GW's trying to stop people from doing ever. Um, even though it seems like everybody has some kind of a way to increase their charge. But so you because you could essentially have the plus one. You could be Novok arrive from reserve three inches away and have been unfailable. You can't even roll snake eyes. You still roll a three because you got a plus one. Um, so this is um, this is pretty cool though. I do like that they've got this. I think this is working into what Danny was saying before. Uh, well, so what we've been talking about quite a bit, which is this uh, possible melee archetype Necrons. Now, 
I think this is a bread and butter. If you're playing, if you're playing it, you should probably build into it. Like if you if you've got big hammer units, this is a way of like let's say you could either play something offensively, defensively, like ten lich guard. On the games where you need to go attack, you get the, you got the nice life to bring him into the game. Um, on the games where you don't, you just chuck him in front of all your important stuff. I feel like this adds a lot of duality to a lot of different units, and I feel like I feel like it's good, and I'm happy they've got it. Like I, I don't want to fix it. Either. I mean, I'm in the same camp as Michael. Um, I think it's something that Necrons need, and that Necrons need to have these big big playmaking stratagems uh, of the ilk of exactly whatever everyone else has like blood letters getting three or six charges or me for uh, my dark angels getting combined assault six inch charges from reserve or fours fours if i got a uh, chaplain but uh, anything more to add here before we move on danny uh no i mean i I think it's really good in general it's it's super solid strat and really lets you get some really interesting unit placement especially with the changes to the night side given the transport capacity and stuff like that um yeah super cool no, cool. All right, next one. Uh, one CP Shadows of Drazak. Uh, use this stratagem in any phase when a flayed one's unit from your army is selected as a target of an attack. At the end of that phase, each time an attack attack is made against that unit, subtract one from the hit roll. Uh, is this a selective attack? I assumed this was going to be selected of a um, of a melee attack, but this is any attack. So this, yeah. yeah, this doesn't matter. This is either either. This is a reactive. Um, this is a. What is it called for the lightning fast reactions? Um, just for flayed ones, though. What an interesting one to give just to flayed ones. You wouldn't think flayed ones would be hard to hit unless they're like holding up their mannequins well, of their. Mostly, they live in a charnel dimension, so like they kind of phase in and out of places and jump out of shadows and are extra creepy. I mean, they're already covered in skin, so I mean, what do you wait, want? So they're what, wait. So they're what they're what are the what are the shadow dudes from um, Dark Eldar? Mandrakes. Oh, through yeah, the fire. They're mandrakes, yeah. So they're the the necromandrakes. Yeah. <laughs> Even Drazak sounds pretty. Uh, it does. Dark, dark, dark Eldari. <laughs> oh man, they didn't write anything original there. Danny, any thoughts? Uh, it's just another reason why I think flayed ones are really great. I think they're even better when they're you know Nova or you know our objective secured. Uh, this just gives them just even more durability. Super solid. I mean, Flay One's one of those models. You just you just get a smile when you get you play for when you play against them, or you get a smile when someone's playing with them. You are just like ah, you're you're playing Flay Ones. Good for you, champ. Go get them, um, Michael. Do you like this? Do you like Flay Ones? I I do like Flay Ones, and I think this is actually kind of an interesting thing uh, to me. If you're pl- especially if you're playing Novak, so if you if you go into the additional attack like chain with these. Uh, this can help preserve you. Like, let's say you you go in, you charge, um, you use the Novox strat to give yourself the plus one attack, and then you'd use this because you're going to go in, you're going to swing. Maybe you don't kill everything, but on the swing back, you've made the swing back harder for them. So yep. more of your models get to live. So that means you get more mileage out of those extra attacks. Mm, agreed. And so here's a, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the gun a little bit, but I'm under the assumption this book has been out a little bit, and people tend to know how reanimation works, which unfortunately is something we not might, we might not get to disseminate in this episode. But um, this so this is really interesting. Uh, the way reanimation works is after a, a se- attack sequence has ended, you see if your stuff gets back up. We'll go through how it gets back up and all those limitations later. But there's no limitation on being placed back into engagement range or being placed outside engagement range or if or ifs or buts. So you ju- what, what the sequence you just said, Michael, is actually really interesting. So you jump in, you charge something that's really hard to kill. Let's say it's like 10 Deathwing Knights or something insane that's like, you know, wind them on fours and blah, blah, blah. Something that actually they're really good at killing because they're winning on fours with rerolls to wound is actually quite a good at mitigating a lot of those bonuses. But uh, and then uh, you you fight you kill a couple 
that you that, you know they kill you out of engagement range so they kill themselves out of engagement range um, but then something else hits you and kills two or three neck it kills two or three flayed ones you get one back and you put yourself back into engagement range and then you get that whole second attack again and um I feel like that with this is, a, like you said, a really great way of preserving your fighting strength and then using the jank that is inherent to Necrons uh, to making sure you get a bunch of efficiency. But I went on a bit of a tangent there, so apologies. But I just had this spark of inspiration and, and I needed to follow it. In that particular scenario, it can also negate that plus one to hit that that they seem to have access to. So that's also Yes, nice. that's exactly right. That's really, really true. Um, Danny, anything to add there or should we move on? So wait, so you're saying you're reanimating back into, back into melee? Yes. I don't think you can do that. I think you have to, you can only yeah. reanimate into me within an inch of an enemy unit if you're already within an inch of them. I think that's. Oh, apologies. You, you might be correct. So if they have killed themselves out of engagement range, then they have, they've, they've neutered that entirely. So if that is correct, I'm not sorry. That was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you should be proud of yourself. That was a good idea. That would be really that good. That was, was good for it. That was good for half a fart. Anyway, moving on. Um, this next one is Aetheric. Interception, one CP. You just this is this is a paragraph and a half. Use the stratagem in the reinforcement step of your opponent's movement phase. After an enemy unit has been set up on the battlefield, select one hyperspace hunter unit from your army that is either on the battlefield in hyperspace dimension or in strategic reserve. If in if that so here's the first dot point. If that hyperspace hunter unit is in hyperspace dimension or in strategic reserves, set it up anywhere on the battlefield that is within 18 inches of at least Oh, sorry, of that enemy unit and more than nine away from enemy models. Um, the second one is that hyperspeed hunter unit can, at the end of the phase, shoot as if we were a shooting phase, but at the end of that phase, it can only target the enemy unit that was just set up on the battlefield as only, and only if that enemy unit is eligible as a target for the attack. So that's very wordy for what Deathmarks... Is that what Deathmarks used to do on their data sheet? They used to be able to deep strike pretty, in response. Pretty much. Sorry. This is my favorite stratagem out of here. Um I like hyperspace hunter units. Obviously, I already talked about death marks. I'm a big fan of the Hexmark Destroyer as well, and he's also mm-hmm. a hyperspace hunter. So yep. those popping into the board and getting to shoot out of sequence is fairly disruptive and fun. Yep. Um, I, it's also cheap. So you could be doing this, you know, consistently like for a few rounds, just like, hey, uh, you know, if they're gonna if they're gonna put stuff in reserve, you leave some stuff in reserve to do this. If they know that you have this and choose not to put stuff in reserve, you could just be like, okay, I'll just uh, put my guys out on objectives and, and be cagey uh, with them and use them a little bit differently. But that I, I in a ninth edition where the ability and access to Deep Strike has, like, in my opinion, doubled or tripled, mm-hmm. like, there's just so much more access to it than there used to be. And I feel like it's such more... Uh, it's raised in value so much because a the board is gotten smaller and b this is a board control and objective driven addition from the appearance. Yeah. Uh, so you want that deep strike, you want that null deploy, et cetera, et cetera. Like the ability to punish people for that in any way is great. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think you've made a great case throughout this episode for why things like Deathmarks and uh, their ilk uh, have a lot more play and a lot more viability. Um, jumping to the next one, Danny, do you want to read out uh, Relentless can I, Onslaught? Can I say something about this one too? I didn't even notice this before. No. Yeah, sure. This gives you intercept on any hunters from hyperspace units or uh, uh, hyperspace hunter units. So if they deep strike on the table, you get to shoot at them. So that just makes Deathmarks just with the ability to intercept for one CP and get 10 ballistic skill two plus strength five minus two shots like on anything that deep strikes even if it's a character and they deep strike it like behind a unit or something like that you can still try and ace it so 
trying to knock out a smash captain or something like that becomes like actually kind of viable. So that's really cool. That's yeah. Mm. Yep. And uh, so it's to set up or, or so it's, um, it, it, is it's, it anything that comes in reserve? Could you do it on like, um, if they don't have the stratagem right now, but um, what was the pick up and put down? Was it upon wings of fire for dark blood angels? Could you do it in response to that? If they get set up during the reinforcement step. Yeah. And this is where that or, three inch range on the guns that I was talking about is really relevant because of that second part, it's your shooting as if you're a shooting phase. So if they set them up really far away, if they set them up within 39 inches of a parked death marks unit, you just get to like fire and just be like, okay, I see you way out over there. Hi guys. Eat some shot. <laughs> yeah. That is actually awesome. Isn't it? Um, all right. Uh, relentless onslaught. Yeah, okay. Dan, I decide. got it. <laughs> all right. Use the strategy <laughs> in your shooting phase. When a core infantry unit from your army is selected to shoot until the end of the phase, each time a model in that unit makes a, an, a, <clears throat> an attack with a rapid fire weapon, an unmodified roll of six uh, scores one additional hit. So this is the old Mephret threat. Uh, but specifically tied to court infantry units. Um, I use this on my warriors all the time, um, especially if they have... I also use the disintegration capacitor sometimes with this. Uh, just it's so yeah. many shots and does so much work. Mm. Um, just Same thing with uh, Tomb Blades, I would imagine, yeah, too. Yeah, Tomb Blades are... Oh, no, Tomb Blades can't because they're core infantry. But the disintegration capacitors... Yeah. That was what I was gonna. That was what I was gonna point out as the thing, the only thing that annoyed me. I wish you could use this on two blades because I feel like that's the only thing that's, that's limited it's not to. Effective enough that it's already core, so it's like four yeah. things. But like now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. Why didn't they just write uh, immortals and warriors <laughs> and warriors? <laughs> They're like one more. Actually, it's the same amount of words as they used. Lichcard um, don't have a shot, and uh, the bikers are bikers. And don't forget, it's mm. only with certain um, weapons. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's true. It's only rapid fire weapons as well. It's, oh man, it's horrifyingly restrictive. Yeah, it doesn't seem so, but just, it's like it's like the vehicle thing we read out for the secondary traits. It's like the more you read into it, the, the worse it gets. Uh, but moving on, uh, Michael, you want to read out the next one? Curse of the Pharaoh, three CP or one CP. Use this stratagem in any phase of the Necron's vehicle. Model from your unit is destroyed. Do not roll to see if it explodes. It does so automatically. If the model is Titanic, it costs three. Otherwise, it's one CP. I really like this if you're going to take uh, vehicles that plan on being around stuff, uh, a.k.a. Hello, Ghost Ark, also adorable, mm. is if you're going to take that uh, that lonesome Doom Scythe, you can uh, burner bomba it over there. <laughs> like, run up, like, have it hop in, shove it in their face, shoot all your guns, uh, hopefully do a little bit of move block, and if they blow it up, because they probably will, because its stats are trash, then you can punish them for one CP and give them that nice flyer mortal bomb as the final few. Yep. So I really like this on um on Ghost Arcs as well. Because because of the, the freaking footprint of that model. It is so long, guys. You can get so much distance. So six inches from how how long is it? Is it it's like eleven or twelve inches long, isn't it? <laughs> the ghost arc might you see where I'm going with this eleven yeah? or twelve inches long, but I think it's probably about eight. <laughs> yeah it's, that's fair i feel like it's just super long but I mean, like you said everyone says that but uh it's uh it's just a it's just a big footprint model to get a lot of explode a lot of mortal wounds out of a lot of uh impact into your opponent especially if they're playing an msu style like things like harlequins oh are you still there okay okay yep. uh the tesseract arc yeah. might be a good choice for this too depending on if it still blows up really big um because it used to do that so we haven't seen the new forge world before so mm. that could be another 
So yeah, we just looked up. Yeah, the Tesseract Vault um, explodes two d six inches, and it explodes on a four plus. So you could just take the roll, and you just the one the three CP to make it explode is pretty hefty for something that already explodes on a four plus. But it does explode two d six inches for d six mortals, which is horrendously big. Yeah, the it's pretty huge. Pretty hot. Uh, just those that don't know, Michael um, dropped out for a second, just measured his ghost arc. I don't know where it, in which part of his dungeon he pulled it from, but it's nine inches long. So it's not the it's not the eleven or twelve that I thought. Um, you know, we all we all we different perspectives, guys. You know, uh, but next one is uh, atavistic instigation. This is one CP. Use this strategy in your shooting phase when a doom scythe model from your army is selected to shoot. Uh, after you select the model, the target uh, unit for that model's heavy. Heavy Death Ray, select one enemy unit within three of that target. That enemy unit can either brace or duck for cover. If that unit braces and is not a vehicle or monster, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. If that unit ducks for cover until the end of the turn, subtract one from the attack's characteristic of models in that unit, and uh, that unit can offer Overwatch or set to defend. I am generally not a bit... So I read out there's a similar one for Space Marines and the Space Marine Codex, and I wasn't a fan of it because it gave your opponent a choice. And I don't like, I think it should, you should just, if I'm paying a CP, one of, either one of those should just happen and it should be my choice. Um, that's, that's the only terms and conditions I, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts? I think if you're going to run a Doom Scythe, it's kind of a clever way to force a choice onto your opponent for only one mm-hmm. CP. And both of them are pretty crummy. So, I mean, I think a lot of the times they're just going to eat those D3 mortal wounds. But then again, for one CP, they just ate D3 mortal wounds. So, not, yeah, that's true. Not terrible. Hmm. I suppose you can line it up with a bunch of other things in which it makes... But see, then they just... Yeah, never mind. It's like, it's, it, the issue here is that there's no point in lining it up with a bunch of other stuff, like like to, to deny an Overwatch or to to do any... Or to, to not minus their attacks, because then they just won't take it. They'll just take the models. Um, I, I just wish there wasn't a choice there from your opponent to make. But yeah, uh, Danny, what are your thoughts? I agree with that, I think. I, I thought that... So I think it's an interesting choice, like the units that you want to use it on. Like I, I was thinking, like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool in the Tau matchup, maybe, um, or I can like make a broadside unit not be able to Overwatch me, right? Um, but then looking at it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, they're just going to take D three mortal wounds. Who cares? Like then they're not, then they're still going to be able to, yeah. you know, uh, for the greater good, me anyway. Um, so not that big of a deal. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's okay. Uh, just it's like a it's a one CP to get D three mortal wounds. Is that worth it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's going to be very worth it. So, I mean, theoretically speaking, you're willing to do the exact same thing on a satan yeah. shard for a less reliable power. So, I would say yeah, but you're forced into a doom scythe. That's the downside. Yeah. Uh, I love, so here's one thing that I love. Yeah, uh, just 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 me following my little trains of thought. It says heavy death ray, which is what I'm assuming the death ray is called. Like so, so at some point, a cryptech was like, "All right, all right, we got this death ray, and all it does is death. <laughs> Let's make it extra death ray." And the the guys are just like, "Marvin, you're a moron. You're like, you know, go home, dude. You're drunk. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, whatever. All right, um, Michael, you want to read out the next one for us? Revenge of the Doomstalker. Two CP. Use this stratagem in any phase when a dynasty character from your unit." and your army is destroyed by an enemy unit. Select one friendly dynasty Canaptic Doomstalker model from your army. So somewhere else on the board, it awakens, it gets mad. Uh, at the end of the phase, <laughs> that Canaptic Doomstalker can shoot as if it was your shooting phase. Woohoo! But it can only target the enemy unit, and only if that enemy unit is an eligible target for the attack, so less good, but still kind of fun, especially given the sort of short range of those. But, I mean, not, not terrible, actually. 
Um, until the end of the battle, each time that Canaptic Doomstalker makes an attack that targets that enemy unit, add one to the hit roll. That's actually kind of fun. Uh, yeah. Doomstalkers hit on fours normally, so that makes it up to a three. If it hasn't moved, it gets the high power version of its gun at 48 inches. So that's actually kind of cool. Like if you, you know, lose a character and you have this Canaptic Doomstalker chilling around, it just, you know, rages out and, uh, and maybe shoots its big gun at something and, and uh, does some does some work. Hmm. Um, it actually seems kind of cool. I'm not sure. I, I haven't heard amazing things about the Doomstalker, but uh, for two CP, just giving a plus one hit for the rest of the game seems legit. If you can make it a thing, well, Danny, well, any mileage? Oh, sorry, micro unit though. So it's kind of like restrictive in that way. Mm. The way. I was looking at it is if I lose, if I drop one of those hexmark destroy, uh, destroyer guys, he's a character, and they yep. like you know he has to be kind of close, eighteen inch range guns. Uh, he comes in, shoots some stuff. They shoot him back, and he dies horribly. Then your Doomstalker can shoot them, which is pretty funny. Here's the thing, though. Let's say so. Here's, here's a funny little interaction. We got resurrection protocols. Could you like go and get a you know you, you suicide in a, a a destroy lord, kill a bunch of stuff. He gets killed. You revenge of the Doomstalker, and then you reanimate the the destroy lord as well. I think so, he had to be qualified. Well, I don't know because there's something funny about destroyed. Uh, one of the um, one of the secondaries, the the kill tally one treats reanimated mm-hmm. stuff as having been destroyed for its purposes. So maybe that works. Now, to trigger mm-hmm. it's, it's, protocols, you do have to be destroyed. Okay, okay. But it just says, okay, so, cool. like, if the model is destroyed, then you roll a d6 and it comes back. I think it actually works, to be honest. Like, yeah, I think yeah. so, too. Sick! I was about to call you Danny Burster of Bubbles, but nah, Danny Reinforcer of Bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, 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 that's not game breaking in any in any way, guys. It's just kind of cute if you can pull it off. It'd be a little bit of fun. Um, next one: disruption fields. One CP. Uh, use the stratagem in the fight phase when a Necron's core unit from your army is selected to fight. To the end of the phase, add one to the strength characteristic of the model in that unit. That is that is cool. Was that restricted to only being Necron warriors in the last one? Sure. I think we mentioned that it before. Was it wasn't yeah. in it. And now it's just cool. Oh, sorry, we did say that before. You even said the same thing to me then. But um, yeah, so it's just um, core units now. But a plus one strength. Look, what what is the Warsaw Lich Guard? Is he strength seven yeah. still? So Over the top, go to take him to the strength eight. Huge difference. Sorry, Michael. No, you're right. That's exactly, that's that's super hot. Moving up to uh, strength eight is great. And then strength mm. nine. Um, yeah, that's actually baller. Oh, wow, that's actually baller. That's actually crazy good. Um, yeah, there, and on top of that, like there's, we've already gone over the myriad ways that you can get um, plus attacks from Novok and things of that ilk. And this is just doubling down, meaning those all those attack stacking things in, you built into your army. It's just going to get more mileage uh, when it comes to the punch and that wound roll. So, yeah, I think it's just really good, guys. It's, it just seems like a bread and butter, right, Danny? Yeah, I think it's a great spread. Mm. All right, do you want to continue with this? Yeah, and, sure. uh, touch we have disintegration capacitors. Uh, so use this strategy in your shooting phase when a Necron's unit from your army is selected to shoot. Until the end of the phase, each time a model in that unit makes an attack with a DOS weapon, an unmodified six, uh, unmodified hit roll of six automatically wounds. I think this is an amazing stratagem. Um, I use this all the time on my Reaper War, my DOS Reaper Warriors, because like if they're in close range, forty shots means I'm probably going to get like six or seven auto wounds. Um, which is <laughs> which is really good, especially if I'm shooting at a vehicle. Yeah. 
Um, and the AP on those is solid, so they usually do pretty good damage with that. It seems really good. Michael, anything to add? Uh, I, w- I would be using it on my ghost arcs. Yeah. Um, just Oof, to keep yeah, Mm. Yeah, actually, it's just good. It's just this you got so many gold weapons that you take just inadvertently that you can just get extra mileage with. It seems seems awesome. Um, next one, malevolent arcing. Uh, use strategy in your shooting phase when a Necron's model from your army uh, targets an enemy unit with the Tesla weapon. After making uh, the weapon's attacks, roll one d6 for each other unit within six of that enemy unit on a four plus. The unit being rolled four suffers one one mortal wound. Michael, is that that, that seems pretty mediocre? Uh, is there more to it than meets the eye? Uh. I let's see, roll one d6 for each other. Yeah, you know, it it might do an extra mortal wound or two. It is fairly mediocre, only one CP. Um, I mean, it's it's sort of cute, I suppose. Mm. I wouldn't, I don't really foresee myself spending a whole command point on it, but yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't see me using that ever. Yeah, I don't see anybody using it ever, to be honest. Unless you got a bunch, a, a dude who's got a bunch of stuff clumped up next to each other, and you can just do a bunch of single model, single wound stuff to a bunch of characters or something. I, I think it's pretty useless. But you want to grab the next one as well, Michael? Yeah, Whirling Onslaught, one CP. Uh, use this stratagem in any phase when a Scorpec Destroyer or Scorpec Lord from your army is selected as the target of an attack until the end of the phase. Each time an attack is made against that unit, subtract one. So this is. The flayed one stratagem for Scorpec destroyers and Scorpec lords to give them that minus one, uh, and again it's attack, so it works in shooting and melee. Uh, seems really solid since Scorpec destroyers and Scorpec lords are pretty good. Um, I think it just makes them better. So the difference is um, the the flayed one was the minus one to hit. This one's a minus one to wound, uh, which is fun. They're, they're all tough. Are they all toughness five? Minus one to wound is much better. It's much better. Uh, they're, they're mostly toughness five, aren't they? As well. They are. So that, that, that just makes it phenomenally good. So all the strength four stuff you can just make uh, hit wind you on sixes, and um, you're taking all those things that wind you on threes to fours. Essentially, is, is a one CP transhuman in that case. But uh, Danny, this this seems really strong. Is there is there anything more to it? So I wasn't thinking about taking the Scorpec destroyers, right? And then uh, I saw the strategy, and I'm like, okay, yeah, these guys are in. Um, in the games I played against like the new multi meltas and stuff like that, changing those from wounding on fours to or Wounding on threes to wounding on fours has been huge. Because everybody knows mm. how swingy fours are. Exactly right. And all of a sudden things like Blade Guard go into them and they just they just freaking bounce now. Like it's actually really cool. Yeah, going to fives with Blade Guard is pretty solid. <laughs> mm. Huge, huge thing. Um, all right, so onto quantum deflection. This is one CP. Use the stratagem in any phase when a Necron's quantum shield unit from your army is selected as a target of an attack. At the end of the phase, models in that unit have a four plus invulnerable save. So this is a, a bit of a wholesale change from uh, what we had before for this one. This one was a plus one to the roll to see if you you bounce things off of quantum shielding. But quantum shielding has gone through a, a complete rework. And on top of this, they just get a reactive four plus invulnerable, which I like a lot. It's uh, different from everyone getting like the essentially the lightning fast bonus. But uh, this is a Big deal on some of the the barges that have like what was it? Is it thirteen, fourteen wounds on a DDA? Michael? Yeah, four, absolutely. Yeah, is, is this is just, just smashing this out? First time someone uh, blinks or burps at like your DDA, it's like four plus one. Or am I, am I off my rocker? No, I, I agree that this is uh, this is great. We lost our trolliness on the quantum shields of old, but <laughs> this is pretty nice because it's uh, it's counter. I would I would probably play stupid games with this. Like, I would let something that wasn't going to ice it in the first go go through, see how mm. it does. If they kind of wound it a little bit, then if they target it again, do the four up and make yeah. them waste their time. Um, and then, you know, make them make tough choices after that. Right. 
Absolutely right. Danny, what are your thoughts? I think it's really great. I think like in general with quantum shielding, when you're building your list, right, you want to look at like maybe having one key unit. Like I don't know if that I want to take mm. – normally I'm a big fan of having uh, uh, some redundancy in my list. But like this quantum deflection makes me just want to take one like uh, DDA and just stick it in my deployment zone and be like, all right, yeah, it's going to shoot at you all game. If you target it, I'm going to make it a four up in vault. Like there's no other targets. Yeah, um, yeah exactly right. Yeah, so I think it's really, really, um, solid. really solid. I was just looking to, I was just flipped over to the monolith. The monolith doesn't have quantum shielding still. Nope. Why? Why not? Why not give it to it? Never mind. So it's a story, it's a complaint for another another time. But uh, Michael, do you want to read out Solar Pulse? Yeah, uh, it's one CP. Uh, use the stratagem in your shooting phase, select one enemy unit until the end of the phase. Each time a model in a Necrons unit from your army makes a range attack against that enemy unit. The target does not receive the benefits of cover against that attack. This turns off light cover and heavy cover, and that is great. One CP to for to get uh, essentially plus one rend and plus one to sorry minus one rend and plus one to hit in fact in like in all term in when you boil it down to what the effect is on the table. Uh, really, really good, and you, yeah, you're going to need a lot more than you did before as well. And it's not dynasty locked. Like if you mm. had dynasties or whatever, this works for everybody. Uh, yeah exactly right it's really strong and it doesn't select one until the end of the phase each time yeah so basically it doesn't say when you have to do it so you can just you know oh okay uh i need to go kill this thing or change target priority uh you don't get any of your cover now and then you just lay into it so it's it's pretty i think it's fantastic danny is, is this just a your absolute baby it's just so much better than it was before. You it, before it was only one unit that got the benefit, and now it's everything that shoots. Mm. So, yeah, agreed. All right, last one. Um, one CP reconstitution protocols. Use this stratagem in your command phase. Select one ghost arc unit from your army until the end of the phase. Each time that unit uses its repair barge ability, you can set up D six destroyed models back on the battlefield instead of D three. So. Danny, is that is that's that's the um the warrior specific one? They they regen D three warriors, but instead of doing D three warriors, they'll do D six. Is that correct? Yeah, yep, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, the actual wording on it is in the command phase, you can select one friendly dynasty Necron warriors unit within six inches of the model. If you do, up to D three destroy models from that unit reanimate. Each unit can only be selected for this ability once per phase. Fantastic! Quite if you if you're taking warriors and you're taking arcs, you're just gonna you're just gonna bloody use it, aren't you? Feels yeah. good to get these. Yeah, it feels good. Um, so that is actually it. That's it for the stratagems. Now, as as it was with um the space marine ones, there's only a handful of these that scream out. You're going to use turn in, turn out, um, and over and over and over again. Now, those are to me, to me, the ones that stand out to me. As a couple of the Catan ones, you're getting an extra free Catan power. We're quite, we're not quite done with stratagems. We have the uh, dynasty ones still. Yeah. Okay, so we'll hit on the generic ones, and we'll touch on the dynasty ones, and then okay. we'll probably wrap it up for for this episode. But um, for the for the generic stratagems, which ones stand out to you guys as the things that you would you'd intrinsically build around, or things that are going to be evergreen for people out there? Um, what are your top three, Danny? Uh, probably uh, disintegration capacitors. Um, uh, which ones oh, that? Which ones disintegration? Oh, that's capacitors? the uh, auto wound on sixes on sixes to hit. Yep, yep. Uh, I think that's nice. really good. Uh, I also think uh, this is going to sound super weird. I think you use rarefied nobility like almost every single game to give an extra uh, warlord trait to like a cryptic. Yep. I think that's really, really, really good. And uh, I don't know. That's tough. Uh, Tropic Strike is really good. 
I mean, if you're going to take a mm. Satan, there's so many good. All the Satan ones are so, are really good, though. So they really uh, are, aren't they? They're impressive. Yeah, they're really powerful. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, Mark, so, so so many good strats now, though. Mm. Uh, me, which is which is very refreshing. Sorry, Mark, you go. Your uh, for me, since I'm pretty, uh, I like the new heavy destroyers. Uh, I would use extermination protocols for them. Entropic strike for my transcendent Satan, so his, its melee attacks are much more effective. And I'm a big fan of the hyperspace hunter uh, trait, so etheric interception would get some play. Nice, I think a good picks, gentlemen, and, and quite different as well, which I like. Um, so that's yeah, that's going to wrap us up for the the strategy. We're going to jump across. We're going to have a quick look at the dynastic strategy. There's only six of these to run through, but these these are these are pretty saucy, if I can say so myself. Um, these actually add a phenomenal amount, and, and just like I think, just like we you might have picked up before when we talked about the ones that we that were used in the prior Necrons Necrons books. These two gentlemen pointed out three of the dynastic specific ones that they used game in game out, and they built around. So I, I don't think much has changed in that matter because I think the other the ones in the the generic ones they are they're exactly that they're quite generic. Um, you're going to get use of them, uh, but they don't tell you how do you want to build your army. They just the things you want to take. They just make those a little bit better. Um, so the first one here is Talent for Annihilation. I think these have all got the same names as they had before as well. Yeah, translocation crypt is the same. I don't. Th- I'm not sure if MP. No, that's Cesaric, and that, that wasn't there before. But so, talent for annihilation. One CP. Use this strategy in your shooting phase. When a Mephric unit from your army is selected to shoot to the end of the phase, each time model in that unit makes an attack and a modified wound roll of six uh, inflicts one mortal wound on the target. In addition to any normal damage, a maximum of three mortal wounds can be inflicted per phase per stratagem. You know, because Mars is just better than Necrons, right? Because you know. <laughs> Why'd they have to put the caveat at the end? I mean, do you guys think this would be broken without that caveat? Because to me, that 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 bursts the bubble, and that that, that causes me to think it's no good. Uh, so I think <clears throat> I think Wrath of Mars. Uh, I think you've seen the writing on the wall now. Uh, so this is mm. a call out to you. You know your time is coming. <laughs> after, they did, after they did it to the Salamander stratagem, I figured that like they would try and kind of rein in some of the mortal wound powers to. To be a little bit more in line, um, I think it's fine for one command point, though. Yeah, well, one command point for the opportunity cost to do three mortals. In addition, it's actually not too crappy. Um, but I, I mean, it, you, I don't, I don't want to say you start, you start rising to this. You go, oh, you start reading, oh, wow, 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 and then like, oh, it's just a yeah. little bit of a disappointment that last line. But uh, Michael, do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you love it? I think if you're going to go ahead and use Mephrit, it's just a great way to sneak in an extra couple mortal wounds on something, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, no, I agree. That's actually perfectly said. Now, Michael, would you like to keep going and tell us about the Nephric? Yeah, Translocation Crypt, 1 CP. Use this stratagem before the battle when declaring reserves and transports. If you're playing a mission without this step, use the stratagem during deployment instead. Select one Nephric unit, excluding vehicle or monster units. That unit gains the dimensional translocation ability, which is uh, on page 80, and I will find it real quick and let you know what that does. The dimensional translocation ability is, during deployment, you can set up this unit in a hyperspace dimension instead of setting it up on the battlefield. If you do, then in the reinforcement steps of one of your movement phases, you can set up this unit anywhere in the battlefield that is more than nine inches away from any bombs. Thus... Yeah, so it's old school deep strike, like original deep strike. Um, yeah. So for just one, just one CP, and there, there's no excluding vehicles or monsters. Yeah, that's the only limitation. Correct. Uh, it would have felt good if you could have done it to vehicles and monsters, but it's still pretty good, really, isn't it? 
yeah, it's not too bad. It's kind of a cheap, a cheap deep strike, and it's it's similar to what we used to have, so it's it's on brand. I actually think it's the the weakest of all of them, yeah. but it's something. Not fair enough, Danny. You wanna you wanna move on for us and uh, talk about the Nihalak like one, seeing as is your babe. Sure. Uh, this is reclaim a lost empire. Uh, so this stratagem before was plus one to saves uh, if you didn't move or were close to an objective marker, um, like acquisition at any cost from the mech. Uh, use this now. It's use the strategy when you're shooting phase. Select one Nihilak infantry unit from your army that is currently performing an action. This unit can still shoot this phase without that action failing. So for one command point, being able to shoot and do an action is pretty is pretty good. I like it. I like it a lot actually. So you don't have to rely on the protocol um, Necrons. I feel like, or at least the builds that I've been playing, I've been playing like a lot of big squads of warriors, and so wasting their entire activation like or their entire shooting phase to do an action and not having to do that anymore is really good yeah i agree um jumping over to uh, sorry unless mike you got anything to add on that one or should i jump over no, I, I think it's a great way to uh to bypass directive two of that protocol like you said um very useful uh to get extra mileage out of a unit that wouldn't otherwise be able to do something so if you turn the clock back two hours when we were talking about protocols, and Danny <laughs> said he, used to, he usually drops the one that lets you uh, do an action um, as well as um, – sorry, shoot as well as doing an action, that's because he takes a lot of uh, Novok, and he can just pay a CP to get it whenever he wants it anyway. Um, so next one is Blood Rites. It is one CP. This is the Novok strat. Use this stratagem in the fight phase when a Novok unit from your army is selected to fight. To the end of the fight phase, add one to the attacks characteristic of models in that unit. Plus one attack on any Novok unit, not limited to core, not limited to vehicle or monster, not limited to anything apart from it having the Novok keyword. Ah, oh, really, really good, man. That's quite, quite strong. And Michael, this seems to be one that you you quite like a lot, yeah? 100% because it lasts for the entire phase, so if you're going to get a double swing in some way, like with, let's say, flayed ones, uh, this would be a great way to get a bunch of extra attacks. Also, uh, Lich Guard like this quite a bit. Uh, they want to stack all those attacks on them, so get more. And only one CP. Yeah, it's only one CP. It's phenomenal. You'd, you'd pay two CP for this like once or twice a game when you really needed it. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's quite good. Uh, Michael, do you want to continue and talk, talk about uh, Sawtech? Yeah, Methodical Destruction, 2 CP. Use this stratagem in your shooting phase after a Sawtech unit in your army has finished making its attacks. Select one enemy unit that was targeted by an attack made by a model in this unit this phase. Until the end of the phase, each time an attack is made by a model by another friendly in another friendly Sautech unit against that enemy unit, add one to the hit roll. Uh, that's really nice, and you'll notice a little caveat on there. Those attacks do not have to hit. So you can um, you can go ahead and make a shot and you know, you know, just send one shot, stray shot at something to get it, uh, quote-unquote, for lack of a better term, kind of marked for this stratagem, and then dump the stratagem on it, and then dump a bunch of other fire where it needs to go. without Because it, it used to be you had to do a wound to, to get this, yeah? Which is a hell of a lot harder than just hitting on a 3-plus with a 1 um, Well, you don't even have to hit. It just says yeah. uh, targeted. So you don't oh, have geez, to... Yeah, yeah, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to hit at all. You just have to well, stay shot somewhere. So two CP and give up one MOOC firing, essentially, um, and you get plus one to hit on target. You can almost delete the whole thing and just say two CP plus one to hit um, because everything else is actually kind of irrelevant. Danny, this seems good, but is this your cup of tea? Uh, I think it's good in the right circumstances, uh, especially if your opponent has like some kind of a death star unit or unit that you need to remove off an objective um, to win the game. 
or, or you, I mean, in you, case you're trying to win the game all the time, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I like if you if it's critical, like I think this is a huge strategy, and it can be a really good play. Like giving your whole army my will be done effectively is so solid, um, and getting to yeah. hit on twos with your vehicles and stuff like that is very good. And the fact that it's army wide without caveats on the units, it's it's just the icing. It's just the cherry on top of what is an otherwise very good strat, a very good two CP to be honest. Um, but Danny, finish us off. Tell us about the Zerican. Okay, strat. so uh, we've got uh, empiric Dampen- dampening for one CP. Use the stratagem in your opponent's psychic phase when an enemy psyker attempts to manifest a psychic power within 18 inches of a Cesarkin unit from your army. Roll 1d6. On a 4+, plus, the psychic power is denied. So it's 1 CP, but it's only it's limited to 18 inches instead of uh, 24, like a lot of other similar stratagems are. Um, I, I, it's, it's really good. Uh, Necrons don't have a lot of ways to deny psychic powers. They have a couple, um, but there's not a ton of ways for them to interact in the psychic phase. And psychic powers also kill guys without reanimation protocols. So uh, this is a good way to kind of help to counteract that a little bit. It's always annoyed me that the anti-psychic fluff um, for Necrons has never translated into anti-psychic rules for Necrons outside the pariahs, which was like, what, they they didn't make transition to 5th edition? <laughs> is my thinking. They existed in 4th. Yeah. Didn't make it or didn't make it to 6th. Michael probably ought to tell us better. Um. Yeah, basically, we haven't had a whole lot of access to be able to shut down psychic abilities or even control them in any kind of phase. There was a warlord trait back in the day to you just got to deny roll uh, baked into something else. So it was like kind of fun to to get to roll those dice. Uh, I will say that uh, I know Danny loves the Canaptic Spiders and they have the Gloom Prism. So Cesarac yep. uh, version of that with three of those would give you three denies. And then also a four up deny, so you could you could shut down uh, quite a few psychic powers potentially. Just yeah, that is pretty cool. It's saucy that they have that option as well. Uh, I just don't. I just want to see Pariahs back, guys. Just just make an alternative kit for Lichgard Pariahs. Do it. Do it now, please. Um, but because I love those dudes. But anyway, that actually rounds us out. So of of those, of to me. The power between the power that I, I read there is uh, Novok and Sortek, yeah. The plus to hit army wide and the one CP plus one attack are the two that that just slap me in the face. As these are just raw straight line power that is very hard to get elsewhere. Uh, Danny, what are you thinking? Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think the uh, uh, the Novok one is amazing. It's probably the best one out of all of them. Uh, I yeah. I mean I, I think Reclaim the Lost Empire is still very good. Empiric dampening is solid. I mean all of these are just solid strats. None of them are stingers, mm. not even one. They they, they did you a favor though, and they color coordinated the best to worst. So the two green <laughs> are the best, the two dark gray ones are okay, and the light gray ones. Are <laughs> I, I hope uh, some kind of design accident, but it is really funny. <laughs> why would they do that? Why would they have those colored? There's no reason to. They're there to help you subconsciously. Green is good. <laughs> Right? They're steering you guys. <laughs> G Dub, deep, deep, deep state G Dub is trying to control. For, hashtag uh, deep state. Yeah. It's on. It's happening. But dude, that that'll wrap us up for this episode. We've been going for a pretty lengthy amount of time on this. Now we just we still have a hell of a lot to talk about. So I've already asked these two gentlemen if they'll be happy to come on next week. This and and deep dive some more because we still have relics. We have still have the cryptic arcana, the relics, the warlord traits, and then we have the actual units themselves to disseminate and and to go over some of the ones that stand out there. Some of the big changes and movers and shakers and things that are going to be elevated through this book. But um, 
I think we've done just we've, we've deep dived this in, in some pretty intri- intricate detail. And you two gentlemen have certainly showed your class and color uh, by contributing your big, big, big brains to this uh, review. But Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, uh, leaving this, I mean, we are leaving it unfinished. We're leaving it, you know, something that's, that's half done. But uh, are you excited for Necrons? I mean, there has been a bit, a bit ho-hum, as Michael would say, about their position. Um, so, so, Michael, why do you think that is? Why do you think the perception of Necrons has been a bit negative off, or straight of the off? Um, unlike other codexes, uh, some of which, one of which came out recently at the same time as this, um, there's not as many sort of like low-hanging fruit designs or structures. I think the obsec and six-inch move is like the closest we get to like almost anything you do will benefit from doing that. So if you just do this, you'll do better kind of thing. Um, however, there are a bunch of really interesting and uh, kind of, I will, for lack of a better term, kind of intricate um, synergies in this book, but they do require actually reading everything and that may be beyond the ken of uh of most people <laughs> <laughs> slaughter is real danny what do you think mate? oh man uh so i i think this book is a lot more nuanced uh than than like like the the other ninth edition codex marines uh i'll start i'll say it i'm not afraid um but uh i think that there is a lot of really good strategy in here and like the fact that like the army was already pretty good at doing what it uh what it did before which or 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 it's really good it's it's better now at what it was supposed to be able to do and that's be tanky and hold things like it's really good at that right now um uh i think that uh this army plays the mission super well i think that it also has some really great guns and firepower um to make up for not having uh like the psychic phase that kind of stuff so i I think they're in a pretty i don't think they're quite as good as good as space marines um like right off the bat uh but i think that with clever play and uh some good analysis this book is all is as good or almost as good Dude, I, I i tend to agree so i i don't know this as deep as either of you two gentlemen but i can tell you right now i'm pretty fearful of necrons but not because of the the straight line raw firepower that I think is what we've alluded to, what Space Marines got. But they have this weird kind of flexibility in that they have a lot of different builds that can do a lot of things very differently. Um, like even, even from the two polarities of the two gentlemen I have on here that you guys have been listening to, um, Michael is, is talking about it from a super aggressive, I'm going to walk up, punch you in the face, and when you try and punch me back, I'm not going to die. Like I just re- will straight refuse to die, and Danny's kind of more of a I'm gonna I'm gonna play a bit more of a cagey game from the backfield uh, maneuver and and trying to take it hold as I do. But uh, I think both of these gentlemen are, are coming at it, and, and just to just to show you the polarity between the two of them, they are both top table players, guys, and they're both looking at different archetypes that excite them and um, give them a lot of agency in the game. So what, what's your just throwing it out for the for mostly because I'm curious. So you've both played about eight games of the new Codex. I've played in total three games, and I've never played yep. your Necron Codex. Oh, fair enough. Danny, uh, how many, how many, what's your win-loss with Necrons at the moment? Oh, uh, I haven't lost yet. <laughs> uh, brutal. Stop clubbing those Alaskan seals. <laughs> Just leave them alone, Danny. I can't go anywhere <laughs> to club anybody else. That's true, that's true. <laughs> Um, but anyway, that's going to round us out for this episode, guys. Uh, hopefully, people have, have gone the distance with us um, to hear the positivity at the end because I feel like, man, we did, we 
we just scratched the surface of this book. We, we're going to go over into part two now. If these two illustrious gentlemen are willing to give me another hour of their time, we're going to go over the part two. And we're going to talk about the list these guys are playing, the things that they're using, the things that they're writing, the things that they are excited about getting on the table and, tr and trying to make work. Um, and just to give you a, a, an overview of kind of what we were talking about there, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what's the outlook? What's the prognosis for Mar for, for um, Necrons? How do they literally measure up Warrior to Intercessor, etc., etc., etc.? And how do they go about winning games? How do they want to win? How do they want to play? Where are the strengths? What are they functioning around doing? What is a what is a core of a Necron army to build and play around? What are the the things, the intrinsic things you want to take? What are the auto takes and what are the archetypes? And uh, then we're talking about some biggest strengths and weaknesses, some best and worst matchups, and um, some list writing. And then, we, of course, we've got our usual patron questions. So if you are interested in joining our patron, please go in and look us up on Patreon, Art of War, Down Under, or AOWDU40K. Please look us up and join there if you're at all interested in the part two of this. Um, but, dude, Danny, Michael, please... Tell the tell the people out there where to find you if they would like to engage with you. Michael, tell us about the High Lords, please. Yeah, High Lords of Terra podcast. Uh, you can get it everywhere you get podcasts at. Uh, we are part of the Rogue Trader Network of podcasts, which are ourselves, NZ40K Cabal, Mob Rules, and the Dangly Boys. NZ40K Cabal, my boys. I've been a patron with them since their, their first episode. A bunch of good dudes from New Zealand. Danny, tell us about Mob Rules. Um, so, uh, you can find us wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, we release uh, every other week. Um, so we're pretty consistent. I think we've only ever missed one episode in the many, many years that we've been going. Um, so, and we're doing, uh, codex reviews and things like that as well. So check out our YouTube channel, uh, if you want to check that out. Um, Yeah. Fabulous. Well, thank you again so much, gentlemen. Hopefully, the listeners out there will come and join us over in part two, where we'll start deep diving the, the crazy little bits and pieces these gentlemen have cooked up and all the little tech, and they'll start trying to give us some of their gems. I won't try. I won't ask them for all their pearls of wisdom, but uh, just some, some few juicy dispits to get you guys excited for Necrons. But thank you so much for joining us, guys. Hopefully, you've, you've stuck through us till the end, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under. A content review podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.